warning. Pop culture leftovers might not be suitable for people who can't handle insane amounts of profanity, so you might want to fuck off. Pop culture leftovers might take its time getting around to its advertised content as well. If this is a huge problem for you, then you too can fuck off. Pop culture leftovers typically has a long run time as well. If you can't handle a four to six hour podcast, then you probably won't like us, and you too can join the aforementioned cock thistles and fuck off altogether in unison. Others who may not be able to handle pop culture leftovers include children under the age of 14, if you regularly listen to NPR, are a pregnant woman that has spent most of your first, second, and third trimester looking at stupid shit on both Etsy and Pinterest, if you tuck in your t-shirts, if you use a Bluetooth headset in public, if you go to motivational speaking seminars, if you have life goals, if you have self-respect, if you have a heart condition, if you're a huge pussy, if you're a huge pussy with a heart condition, or if your name is Melvin, TFS706, or TJ Lamb. Everyone else, please enjoy. Big shot gangster putting together crew. You in? I waited a long time for a shot like this. What are you doing with Harry and the boy? We need a ship. The Millennium Falcon. Every ship isn't for everyone. She needs a particular type of pilot. You done flirting? These people are not your friends. There's a lesson to be learned here. I got a really good feeling about this. Episode 234. There's already like 7 million podcasts talking about pop culture and it's all that. Makes us happy like shooting at a wall, Brad. But it's all we've done before. We don't want to be a copycat. We're the leftovers picking up the scraps. Drop by the cool kids. It, it, it's a trap. You're listening to the only podcast with the balls to bite a radioactive spider. It's Pop Culture Leftovers. Five, four, three, two, one. Hey, welcome to Pop Culture Leftovers, the only podcast that sounds even better the second day after it's been uploaded. I'm Brian. I'm Jake. And we're the we're leftovers. The leftovers. I, I say it with a little bit more gusto from now on. All right, all right. Yeah, killing me over here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, this week uh, we're going over Solo, a Star Wars story. Uh, it's not just Jake and myself. We are joined this week by Matt Kirby. Welcome, Matt. Hey, guys. How you doing? Great. Doing great. Uh, and not only are we joined by Matt Kirby, but we're also joined by Dan West. Straight out of England and into your ear pussies. He's a motherfucking Jedi. It's Dan West. All right, Dan. Welcome back to the show, man. Oh, you speak. You speak. You speak. Woo shrieky or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, that was that was Bono and Stacey in uh, in Wookie. Oh. <laughs> Uh, I thought he was just gargling something. I yeah, I, I got lost. I, I didn't quite didn't quite understand the dialect. Uh, must be a re- must be a regional thing, Dan. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Oh, you try uh, something new, and everyone pisses. Oh, it's right. unbelievable. No, I thought it was. I thought it was very. It was very uh, Star Wars centric, 
and uh, and I, I enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, less of that going forward in the future. Um, yeah, never again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, guys, uh, we're going to be jumping uh, into our uh, recap here very shortly. But I I just want to get the spoiler warning out of the way from the get go because there are going to be spoilers. This is a pop culture leftovers spoiler warning. Today's forecast calls for spoilers straight in your dick hole. You have been warned, spoiler pussies. Alright guys, yeah, talking about Solo, a Star Wars story, and uh, this is the first Star Wars film to be released in May since Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith back in 2000 and, was it 3? No, that was yeah. five, five. It was two thousand five. Five, yes. Yeah, I, two, <laughs> yeah. I was thinking like uh, maybe if there's two years between movies like there are now, but no, it's back then it was three years in between films. Uh, let's jump into the synopsis of how did you guys feel about that Star Wars movie in May? Did uh, are you missing the December stuff or like? Uh, I prefer the May. I mean, just being old like I am, that's that's what I'm used to for my Star Wars fandom. But um, ah, it's not looking like we'll get another May Star Wars again if the box office is going like it is so far, right? Yeah, it Oof. doesn't help. I mean, I mean, the projections were a lot higher a week, two weeks ago. They were looking at 150 million for the opening weekend, and now it's looking like it's going to be 120. Last time I checked, but uh, could be even Oof. less than that. Yeah, that's unfortunate because I I do personally prefer prefer the May release. Like Star Wars, I kind of like kicking off the summer movie, even though May is late for that these days. Yeah, yeah. Uh, synopsis for the film. Board the Millennium Falcon and journey to a galaxy far, far away in Solo, a Star Wars story. An adventure with the most beloved scoundrel in the galaxy through a series of daring escapades deep within a dark and dangerous criminal underworld. Han Solo meets his mighty future co-pilot Chewbacca and encounters the notorious gambler Lando Calrissian in a journey that will set the course of one of the Star Wars saga's most unlikely heroes. It's directed by Ron Howard, who came on late uh, with the, you know Phil Lord and Christopher Miller when they left the film back last year in June t- 2017. They were only three weeks away from finishing principal photography, and uh, the duo apparently clashed throughout all of the production process with uh, Kathleen Kennedy co-writer Lawrence Kasdan and other Lucasfilm members over the direction and tone of the film. Miller and Lord had been encouraging improvisation and making an overall comedic film against Kasdan's wish for them to follow his script. And I wanted to read some quotes here. Jake, we both read uh, an article from Variety that came out recently, and um, I wanted to read some quotes on that and like get your thoughts. And, uh, you know, Matt and uh, Dan, I wanted to get your thoughts on this as well. But reports suggested Lord and Miller had gone overboard with improvisation, moving farther and farther away from what was on the page. But Kasdan's son and co-writer Jonathan has a different take. Quote, the issues were we were having were much more in the bones and practical. Chris and Phil did everything they could to make it work, as did we. The questions only became about how to make the movie most efficiently in the time we had to do it. So basically, it wasn't the improvisation. It was them spending too much time uh, on different scenes and different things. And it sounds like when Ron Howard came aboard, they were basically doing double the work and they were doing more work in half the time is what is what it sounded like being 
Yeah, that's it's really, the article was really interesting, and not only was it a matter of time, they kind of present that it was also a matter of money too. That they had already kind of dipped their toes into the the financial bank for this movie more than Kasdan and you know Kathleen Kennedy had wanted them to. Yeah, but I mean, here's the thing: it's like it's been said in some of these reports that Ron Howard reshot and directed seventy percent of the film, and. Reshoots are expensive. That's not cheap. You're you're tacking onto a budget when you're doing the reshoots. So I, I was thinking no. more of it was like, are they gonna? I was thinking more of it was, are they gonna hit that deadline of May 25th to have this ready to go? Because that was a big point of contention between Kathleen Kennedy and J.J. Abrams. He was supposed to hit that May deadline. J.J. says, "You want this movie done, and you want it done right." And my name's J.J. Abrams. We're going to have it done in December. And she, against her own wishes, kind of like bent to that. But that's, yeah, that's basically my point is, you know, the reshoots are expensive as well. So, yeah, that is a weird, like, kind of hypocrisy there. But, yeah, I just thought that was odd that they really did make a lot of mention of that in this article. Like, even when Howard was doing the reshoots, they talked about how he took so much less space to build the sets, and that was costing less money, and things were just being done faster, and, like, the assistant direction was being done so much more efficiently. But, I mean, you make a great point. I mean, how how is it that efficient when you're doing it over? Yeah, Exactly. I, Lord and Miller, they would not agree to an interview with Variety, but a source close to the production says that their ideas were constantly overruled. Uh, quote, in their minds, Phil and Chris were hired to make a movie that was unexpected and would take a risk, not something that would just service the fans, says the source. They wanted it to be fresh, new, emotional, surprising, and unique. These guys looked at Han as a maverick, so they wanted to make a movie about a maverick, but at every turn... When they wanted to take a risk, it was met with a no. Man, I'm, t- I, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm just, you know, yeah, it's like, it's like, I guess you have to choose a side, lean into a side, and it's, it's really hard without knowing everything of went on. It just sounds like reading that article, though, Jake, it sounded like the cast was having a great time, and, and with Phil, uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, really enjoying themselves working with these guys and and thinking that they're brilliant. And I can I can just imagine Donald Glover on the set with Phil Lord and Chris Miller and just having a great time, and them like coming up with ideas on the fly and. It's just, I, I, yeah, agreed. I got that from Woody a lot too. The same type of thing yeah. you're talking about from from Glover. Yeah, I, I just <laughs> I don't know, man. It just feels like Kasdan and John, John uh, Jonathan Kasdan and Lawrence Kasdan were just not working well with these kind of like improvisational improvisational free spirit directors or whatever the guys that did 21 jump street in the lego movie you know it's like you know two movies that everybody th- thought were gonna fail and they took them and made them just incredible and i feel like you know like kathleen kennedy saw that and then she saw how like she saw how the donuts were being made and she was like whoa 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 i just want what you gave those other movies this is like they just didn't believe i don't think that they believed in their creative process at all yeah, I, this article is really good. It does a good job of being, I think, non-biased and kind of presenting as well as they can with the sources they have, both sides, and kind of letting you decide for yourself. And yeah, man, I don't know. It's It really does make Kathleen Kennedy and the Kasdans kind of sound like 
grumpy, stodgy old people. <laughs> it's in my not opinion. like this is the first <laughs> time that they've done this. I mean, they got they 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 asked. Colin Trevorrow to leave Star Wars Episode Nine because they didn't believe in uh, Tony Gil, uh, not Tony Gilroy, um, but they, uh, Tony Gilroy was the guy who came in and finished finished up Rogue One for him. I'm trying to think of uh, the uh, the guy that Colin Trevorrow had writing Derek Connolly. He had Derek Connolly writing Star Wars Episode Nine with with. Trevorrow and they didn't like the direction so they got rid of him and it's and, and, and Trevorrow is a Spielberg guy like that's why it was so hard for them to get rid of Trevorrow is because like he was handpicked by Spielberg to direct Jurassic World he's a Spielberg guy you know and Kathleen Kennedy and her husband um uh Frank uh what's his name Frank Marshall are very Good friends, of course, with Spielberg. I mean, they're 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 part of the they're co-founders of Amblin Entertainment, and <laughs> dude. So now we're going to talk about the Boba Fett film later. But like, it seems like now Disney's just like hiring older directors that aren't younger guys that they are worried that they're going to clash with. Yeah, it's kind of depressing to be honest with you. This article kind of depressed me. <laughs> like I. I don't want to see the Star Wars overseers like stifling the product like this moving yeah. forward over and over and over again, man. Like this, this isn't the machine isn't going to keep churning if we can't, you know, get some fresh people in there trying to do some fresh takes. And I, I don't want to see cookie cutter everything. Yeah, it's like you know we've talked about it before. These guys were hired to do their movie, and then when they started to make their movie, then they were fired from that movie. <laughs> it's like why? If you know, like this is like, did you just see like, oh, these guys are the hot name in movie making right now. Let's get them, and then like they realize that oh my gosh, um, Matt, Dan, like, what are your thoughts on all this? Start with Matt. Um. I mean, pretty much the same as Jake. It's it's worrying to think that Disney and Lucasfilm are going to stifle anyone they get in that might be pushing the envelope a bit. And the worrying thing is we're just going to end up getting, as you said, fan service films that are just going to keep churning out Easter eggs and plot points that we all expect and we all know that's going to happen. Yeah, but let me throw and this out just, there. The Last Jedi. Yeah. <laughs> and look how well that went over. I mean, it made no, a lot we, of money. We were in the minority, I think, yeah, weren't we? We were in the minority on that one. Mm. So, you know, I don't think they're going to do that, make that mistake again. I think it was more, oh, it was really? device, I think it was like 50-50, right? Probably that divisive? Or, oh, well, yeah, yeah, I would think yeah, so. Yeah. But, you know. Aren't, aren't they going to three times make that mistake right now, Matt? Because now Ryan Johnson's doing a trilogy. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll see. Whether they hold tighter reins on him this time, I don't know. But the, the thing is, it's like uh, Ryan Johnson with his new trilogy isn't working with beloved characters, right? You know, he's not working. Luke Skywalker is not in his sandbox anymore. Like they've yeah, already he's said, not this. working with legacy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It, it, it's like he's going to be in a corner of the Star Wars galaxy that we've never been to before, with all new characters for the most part. Um, that we know about. This should be all new characters if we're to believe like the reports. And so it's like, you know, I don't know. We'll see what Ryan Johnson does with those. But I, I mean, it's like, yeah, I feel like, um, these Star Wars, you know, Star Wars stories, these anthology films that they've got coming out are the perfect opportunity for them to kind of like 
you know, change things up a little bit. Yeah, this is where they should be doing that. Yeah, <sighs> definitely. Dan, talk to me. Yeah, I just echo what you do, what you say, man. It's uh, it's strange that they're getting these kind of like these new, you know, hip guys to come in and uh, and they have a vision and then they basically go, well, we don't like that vision, so now you're going to do what we say. And when they don't, they fire them. Yeah. It's it's weird. It's it's like you know, it's like trying to have your cake and eat it. It doesn't seem to. It, it's odd. Basically, yeah. it's like they're stifling the creativity and then just going, oh, no, we don't we don't want you guys to do that. So let's get this guy in who is a buddy of ours and we know that they can make great films and they'll also do what we say. It's mm-hmm. very strange. Yeah, it is strange. Uh, I got a fun fact here. Christopher Miller uh, from Phil Lord and Christopher Miller. He, Christopher Miller was an intern at ILM uh, and played a stormtrooper during the additional filming for the Star Wars Episode five, The Empire Strikes Back, for the re-release in 1997. Wow, that's yeah. kind of awesome. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, so it's not like these guys are strangers to the Star Wars universe at all. Uh, the movie's written by Jonathan Kasdan and Lawrence Kasdan, his father. Uh, this was Lawrence Kasdan's fourth and final time working on the Star Wars film franchise. He was also screenwriter for Star Wars Episode five, The Empire Strikes Back. Star Wars Episode Six: The Return of the Jedi, and Star Wars The Force Awakens. Um, the uh, composer that worked on this film was John Powell, and John Powell is a uh, protege of Hans Zimmer. Um, there, uh, John Williams composed the main theme of the film later on, but um, Mark Mothersbaugh was going to compose the score at one time. Um, but after Ron Howard replaced Phil Lord and Christopher Miller as directors, um, the rumors were confirmed, confirmed to be false, and it was announced that John Powell would be the composer. And I'm just going to say it right now. I would have loved to heard what Mark Mothersbaugh could have done with this film. He, if you guys remember, he scored Thor Ragnarok which had an amazing (laughs) score. And it's like, I'm thinking to myself, like, in this, uh, spoilers, my favorite score in this movie was the uh, Emphis Nest when the Cloud Riders came in there. I love that score. But other than that, it was was okay. But uh, I would love to see what Mark Mothersbaugh would have done with this film, personally. Yeah, real 80s synthy kind of feel to it. That would have worked really well, I think, especially in, like, the first half. Oh, God, yeah, the Corellia stuff, and yeah. Uh, movie stars Alden Ehrenreich as Han Solo. Uh, listen to this. Dave Franco, Aaron Taylor Johnson, Miles Teller, Nick Robinson, Leo Howard, Tony Aller, Chandler Riggs, Hunter Parrish, Rami Malik, Ed Westwick, Tom Felton, Logan Lerman, Ansel Elgort, Jack Rayner, Colton Haynes, Scott Eastwood, Chris Pratt, Emery Cohen, Taryn Egerton, Jack O'Connor, and Blake Jenner are just some of the names that had screen tested for young Han Solo. Screen tested. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, they went through quite the list. And, um, you know, some of those names would have been good, and some of those names I was less like, okay, wow. <laughs> okay, no, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> nope. Uh, yeah, I always laughed at the Chris Pratt stuff. It's like, we're, yeah, yeah. he's older than Harrison Ford was right. in episode four. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I, I would be concerned with the Rami Malek stuff. That was that would be a bit odd. See, the rumors that I heard is that they brought him in for screen testing, but they were also looking at some of these actors for future roles and in, in, in future films. 
Oh, uh, right. Okay. So smart move. Yeah. Start building that Rolodex. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> do you guys know how to pronounce this gentleman's name? Uh, Junus Swatamo. He's our new Chewbacca. Is it? Sounds about right. Best I've heard. Okay. Junus Swatamo uh, found out he wrote a heartfelt letter to Peter Mayhew, the original Chewbacca, saying that he was only doing his role, uh, that he was doing his role not just for Star Wars fans, but for Peter Mayhew himself. And I thought that, that was a really sweet gesture. That he that that he did that I, I really like that. Um, I have more on some other cool stuff later on about um, the Chewbacca stuff that I want to get into. Uh, Woody Harrelson plays Beckett. Uh, Woody Harrelson was picked over Christian Bale as Han Solo's mentor. <laughs> can, wow! <laughs> can you imagine Christian Bale on the set of Phil Lord and Christopher Miller? <laughs> I was going to say they had enough on-set problems without adding Bale to the mix. <laughs> uh, this is the second time Woody Harrelson has been directed by Ron Howard. The first time was in the movie Ed TV. Do you remember that Matthew McConaughey movie Ed TV? Yeah, Harris. I do too. <laughs> it had to do with reality TV at the height of reality TV when it was start first coming out, and so I was like, I loved it. Um, Amelia Clark, of course, as uh, Kira. We've got uh, Donald Glover as Lando Calrissian. After Donald Glover was announced as Lando, both Phil Lord and Christopher Miller jokingly apologized for ruining Comic-Con for him forever. <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool because we know he's a geek and he loves all this shit. And so I thought that, that was kind of cool. Uh, Michael B. Jordan was rumored for the role as well. And I could actually see that, man. Yeah, yeah that would be that would be interesting. He pulls off suave, you know what I mean? So, okay. Oh, he's a chameleon, yeah. yeah. He, def- I don't, he definitely could have done it. Uh, Tandy Newton plays Val. I am a huge fan of hers from Westworld. She plays Maeve. Uh, she was most recently in the film Gringo, uh, where she was also underused. So, yeah, Tandy Newton, big fan of her. Um, Phoebe Waller-Bridge as L337, the droid. Uh, Paul Bettany as Dryden Voss. Paul Bettany was brought on after Ron Howard was brought on. So originally they had a completely different villain that was being played by Michael Kenneth Williams. Uh, and he was cast in the film. He shot his scenes. But when they wanted to do the reshoots when Ron Howard was brought on, he was unable to return to the set. So Michael Kenneth Williams, he's from The Wire. Uh, when they, they couldn't, they couldn't, he couldn't do it. He was obligated to something else, another project that he was working on. So they brought in Paul Bettany to play a new character. He plays Dryden Voss, and Michael Kenneth Williams originally played a different character. We don't know really anything other than that character was, I believe, mostly CGI. And so all those scenes were scrapped. Wow, that's insane, man. It, it kind of has the, the same sort of feel as the, the Timber and Nicolas Cage Superman thing about, like, what would the movie be like if, like, the original directors were yeah. to stay on? Yeah. It, it's, it's crazy. People are going nuts for, like, release the Snyder cut for Justice League, and I'm saying release the Lord and Miller solos cut, you know? I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What is it like? It's like Only 70% villain. of the movie, right? They were, I heard like the report from Variety said they were three weeks away from wrapping. I actually, when it first was announced, they said they were two weeks away from principal yeah. photography. So, I mean, they got a lot done. And, uh, John Favreau, uh, plays Rio Durant, um, the voice of the character. Uh, that character, the pilot that we see in this movie, he was inspired by Capuchin Monkeys and the extra armed Hindu god Kali. So, 
I thought that that was really cool. That's something like the the solo official guide had so much information about this movie. It was unreal. Um, we've got Linda Hunt in this film playing Lady Proxima. And um, are you guys familiar with Linda Hunt? I know you'll know her face if you saw her. Edna no. She was in um, she she was in. One of my favorite movies growing up, If Looks Could Kill, with Richard Grieco, the spy movie. Oh, wow. <laughs> she, yeah. she played... She was the headmaster at yes. Kindergarten Cop, right? And she she was. Uh, she was Miss Schlowski in Kindergarten Cop. She's yeah. the very short woman with the glasses. And she played... In, in If Looks Could Kill, she played the, the German villain. I think she had, like, a whip in that movie. Oh, that that movie had a different title over here for definite. Really? Because I've seen I've seen that film and it's not called that. That's really weird. But yeah, she looks like um uh is it Edna from Edna, the Incredibles? Edna from, from the yeah. Incredibles. Yeah, yeah, she does from the Incredibles. Um this she also won an Oscar for Best Supporting Actress in nineteen eighty two is the year of living dangerously. And finally I'm gonna throw it out there right now, Warwick Davis. He's in the movie. And of course he is. I thought he's playing the same character. So is Anthony Daniels. Yes, yes. I, I was going to get to that. Anthony Daniels plays Sagwa. You guys, big fans of Sagwa? Do you even know who? <laughs> he, he, he was. That was. The, he was the defining character. Sagwa was the defining character. Let me find my notes on Sagwa. Uh, <laughs> I have notes. Wasn't he just a guy like in the mine? Is that right? Sagwa was the other Wookiee that was in the mine with uh, with Chewbacca, the 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 other Wookiee that we met, and he's the one the one that they do that we see in the trailer. They do the head touch. That one. Yes, that's him. That's no him. Way. Like, like an extra from Planet of the Apes. <laughs> <laughs> Have we done the spoiler warning yet? Yeah, we did the yes, spoiler warning right away. <laughs> okay, we're good. Fine. We're all good. Yeah, um, oh, I'm trying. I can't find my notes. I, you know what? We'll get to it later because I'll find it later. But yeah, I had some information on Saga, and I'll go over that later. But uh, the, and it's all from the solo official hand, the the official handbook or whatever that came out. But um, yeah, um, it was Warwick Davis. He plays the same character that he played in Phantom Menace, and that character's name is Weasel. And yeah. he was the uh, character who was in the Toydarian, um, in Watto's box seats at the pod race, the Toydarian box seats. And um, there's background details on the character that reveal he's a weapons dealer during this time. So that's probably his role in this film as well. So for, you know, Emphis Ness and her marauders or allies or whatever you want to call them rebellion he's getting the weapons for his fellow marauders so yeah and he got a big fucking weapon oh yeah that was huge <laughs> <laughs> all right let's see here yeah they're talking about it. i think they're talking about like a willow movie now bringing it back for like a sequel or something after I'll, all I'll what's that oh yeah yeah me too i was thinking like a willow netflix show would be good but can you get ron howard to commit to that so, uh, well, it wouldn't be a Netflix show. It would be, uh, it'd be on the Disney streaming service because Lucasfilm, when Lucasfilm bought, uh, when Disney bought Lucasfilm, they got the rights to Indiana Jones, Star Wars, and Willow, I believe. Oh, Jesus. God. Wow. So weird. Willow. All, the, all the business. Yeah. There's Willow. Willowverse. Yeah, the Willowverse. We could get a- it. was like the bonus, right? They weren't going to make the deal and they were like, how about we throw in, uh, Willow? Let's throw in Willow. <laughs> 400 million there you go sold and of course we get Clint Howard in the film we had to had to happen 
He was the uh Did the, it really? Yeah, he was the droid fight promoter guy, the ringmaster. Oh, I know I know it happened, but did it have to? Yeah, it's that's Apparently. it's I mean, that's basically just like, you know, James Gunn and his brother and Sam Raimi and his brother. It's the same thing that we get for all those films. So um I wanted to point out that this is the first live action Star Wars film to not feature R2-D2 and C-3PO. So they were not part of this cast. Um, Solo is the first Star Wars film to be directed uh, by an Oscar winner. Uh, it has a runtime of two hours and 15 minutes and is reported to have a budget of over $250 million. So um, before we rate it, I also wanted to point out the time frame of this film within the universe. So Solo, a Star Wars story, takes place approximately 10 years prior to the events of Star Wars A New Hope and seven years before the Star Wars Rebels TV series. Han is 19 at the start of the film, and then it does a three-year jump, and he is 22, which lines up perfectly with him being 32 in Star Wars A New Hope, and that lines up with the official Star Wars timeline. Also, just for reference, Han was being born around the same time that the planet Naboo was being invaded by the Trade Federation in Episode One: The Phantom Menace. So um, in the year that Solo teams up with Beckett's crew during his time as a mud trooper on Mimbin, uh, the Death Star is being moved from its construction site at Geonosis to Scarif, we saw Scarif in Rogue One. Uh, going a little further back in time, this timeline makes a slight tweak to what fans had assumed before, uh, where Han's birthday was assumed to be somewhere around 29 BBY before the Battle of Yavin. Uh, the new canon puts his birth year close to 32 BBY, which is, like I said, the actual age of, of the character and Harrison Ford at the time of New Hope. So I just wanted to get the timeline out there so everybody knows that from the beginning so we're not confused. I'm sure you guys knew this, but wanted to throw it out there. So now we are going to go at any, – any, any questions about the timeline, gentlemen? No. <laughs> no. All right, we're good. Uh, let's rate this one. I'm going to go ahead and play our rating system if this is the first time you're listening to our show. The rating system is simple. If the leftovers don't like something, they toss it. If they do like something, they suggest you taste it. And if it's brilliant, it gets a Tupperware rating. If all the leftovers love it, then it gets the pinnacle of success, a Tupperware party. All right, Matt, Kirby, we are going to start with you, sir. What do you? What are you going to rate? Always me. It's always starting with me. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> what, picked on. Piss and um, moan. Piss and moan. <laughs> what, what are you thinking, man? <laughs> uh, I'm really torn between, between no, the rating. No, 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 no. I want a solid rating. You cannot give me this. You can't. Oh, you, yeah. No, none yeah. of this waffling bullshit. Nail it. Dan West. Dan West. Uh-huh. You, Da- Matt Kirby, I'm going to give you more time to think about it. None of this waffling bullshit. I want, I want it nailed down. <laughs> okay, you want me to go first? Dan West, you're going. Cool. Right, I'm going to uh, taste this movie, just to sort of taste it for me. I thought that parts of this were excellent. I thought parts of it were good, and there were some parts of it and performances that I wasn't too keen on. I didn't think that some of the actors nailed down the roles of the legacy characters, and yes, it is a very, very hard thing to do, taking on those roles from such iconic characters and actors that played them. Um, there are some things in the film that really stuck out to be a problem, 
but for the most part, I really, really enjoyed it. So, yep, just a solid taste it from me. Taste it from Dan. Uh, Matt, give me that nailed down rating, my man. (laughs) (laughs) He was scared. (laughs) No, I wasn't scared at all. It was just, it it literally was last minute. I'm going to echo what Dan says. It's a taste it. And it's only a taste it because it's Star Wars. Otherwise, it would probably be a low taste it. Um, It's always got that Star Wars plus. Um, the some of the characters were, were played really well. Some weren't. Some of the the the, the thing that I really enjoyed about it is it handled the Easter egg, Easter eggs really well, as opposed to Rogue One, which just threw a load of Easter eggs at you. Um, yeah, I, I, I but I enjoyed it. I, I had a good time watching it, but I, I'm not in a rush to go and see it again. Okay, uh, Jake, we're gonna go with you next. Oh man, yeah, this one's crazy. I am. Yeah, this one's so nuts for me. I, I, um, I'm in a middle of the road taste this one, man. I was, um, and I, I, we're going to unpack it a lot later, so I'll, I'll try to keep this brief, but, um, I was really enjoying this movie for the most part for the first three quarters and my taste it a lot comes from honestly the last 15 minutes. I, I felt like me and Star Wars kind of had an unspoken agreement that Star Wars kind of broke here. And I don't know if Star Wars can ever <laughs> regain my trust again, man. This one really hurt me. And Whoa. all I can think about is stuff from the last 15 minutes. Like, everything else to me is, like, marred by the shit. And, oh, man, it just really, like, offended me, kind of the trick they pulled here. And I, it really scares me for the future of other Star Wars movies. But other than that appalling bullshit, I thought the rest of the movie was actually really fun. And it was had a really good kinetic in, like energy to it. I thought most of the actors were great. I thought there was some really smart ways to enhance things we've seen a million times in the classic trilogy. Um, like the Han Lando stuff and like how you watch Empire Strikes Back now is, is kind of brilliant. Like I really love that stuff. So ah, it's really just, I feel like this movie would have possibly been a high taste it, maybe a Tupperware, but I'll never know because the end of it pissed me off so much okay i am i um jake you said you're gonna keep yours brief Uh, mine is not gonna be brief i am getting into (laughs) i'm gonna i'm gonna unload a lot here and after i unload i uh, please give me an opportunity just to unload and after i unload i want to open it up for discussion to where we can talk about this um some of these points i want to know more about what jake's take was of course and I want to, I, I want to unpack the movie. Um, but uh, let me start off. I'm not going to give my rating right away. I loved the Kessel Run. I love Chewie's introduction, even though I, even though there was no life debt. Uh, I absolutely loved Rio Durant um, and his dialogue. Just a fun character. John Favreau did a great job. I love you know when they're or the convoy X when they're when they're robbing it and and. Beckett says to Durant, like, it's going to be the best day of your life when we get this score. And he says, you've never been to a Minoc roast on Ardenia. <laughs> I'm just like, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm cracking up. And really, I, I love the Convoy X scene in the film. Um, some issues that I had, though. I had uh, issue with Beckett's quick turn against Dryden Voss. Um he basically had been afraid of this guy the entire film. And then just turns on him at the end. And it's 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 not like just because like, you know, Han had 
Emphasis Nass take out a majority of his forces, you know, of, of Dryden Voss's forces on Savarine. That, like, just because that happens, it's not like he just forgets that Dryden Voss is well connected. And I guess it's in his nature, you know, to not trust anyone and he can turn on anyone at any time. But like, cause he says, quote, assume everyone will betray you and you'll never be disappointed. And he's always talking about the big score and, but he's also into self-preservation and that's not my biggest problem. My next problem is <laughs> I had issues with the Sabak game, the, the first game that they played. Like the whole story of them playing the first game of Sabak is they need a ship to pull off this job. And it's used as a way to show like Lando is a cheater and then Han loses. But they end up getting the ship for the job anyway. They just talk him into being part of the crew and they get the ship anyway. And it just, just give me a fucking game of Sabak, an insane game where there's other players that are actually involved in the game in some capacity. And we see them getting knocked out one by one. And the game just gets so crazy that they start like betting each other's ships. And like, if we have to play that first game, then don't have Han in the game. Just have Han notice that Lando is a cheater and let him keep that bit of knowledge in his hip pocket for later. And then that's when he can play him, okay? Now, here's my biggest problems with this movie. Um, the relationship with Beckett needs to be closer. It wasn't close. I thought that they were going to shoot for like a Yandu-Star-Lord relationship between these two with yeah. the initial rumors that it took place over six years and not three so they'd be together a lot longer so that when Beckett does turn on Han, it would have a lot more weight than it actually did. And then this leads me into like the biggest problem in the movie is that the movie leaves Han as more of a hero than a guy who's beaten down by life and is a scoundrel and a criminal. And you can say like, oh, well, he lost his girl. Um, but when we meet him in a new hope, he's a scoundrel. I, I'm not buying it. I, He's out for himself. And I felt like at the end of the movie, when Kira tells him to leave and she'll catch up, we all know that she's not going to meet up with him. It's it's so telegraphed. And if she would have started to walk out with him at the end when she kills Dryden Voss, if she would have started to walk out with Han, like they're leaving together, Han's happy, he's got his girl back, they're finally going to be together, she starts to walk out with him, and right when Han walks out of the doorway, she pushes a button on the other side and locks herself within. And... And, 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 and it's just like at the beginning of the movie when they're escaping and she tries to walk through the doorway and it's taken away from him against her own will, against her will. And, and this time, though, she betrays Han and it's her choice now to do that. And it bookends. It bookends beautifully if you do it that way. And then, and then to have Han look at her and this time, you know, he's sad at first and she says, I tried to tell, she says something like, I tried to tell you that you don't know who I am anymore. And basically then we see the look on his face and he sees like the love that he had for Kira kind of like fade away and he's angry and he feels betrayed. And that way, like when they get to the end of the movie, when he's giving Emphysness the coaxium, he can say that he's doing this to stop Crimson Dawn and basically to stop Kira, who's betrayed him. And that's a bigger motivation for him in that moment than to get rich. 
But then, like, later on, we find out that he actually took one of the coaxium barrels for himself and kind of winks at Chewbacca like the true scoundrel that we know Han is. And there's your end of the movie. Um, I got to give this a taste it. It's just a solid taste it. There's a lot that I like here, but there's a lot that's not true to the character of Han. And I blame 100% the screenplay of Lawrence Kasdan and Jonathan Kasdan on this. 100%. I think Ron Howard came in here, directed some fantastic action, did what he could with what they gave him. I got to blame the screenplay. And it's sad because uh, Lawrence Kasdan gave us some of the best Han stuff in Empire Strikes Back. So those that's it's a solid taste it for me too, guys. It's a taste it all around. Taste, taste it party. Taste it party. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Mediocrity <laughs> reigns. You did okay. <sighs> I've Have seen a participation medal. I've seen the movie. Th- I've seen the movie three times, and my rating wow. went, my my rating went down each time. The first time I watched it, I absolutely loved it because I'm in IMAX and it's opening night, and and I was like, oh my god! And then I was like, I gotta see it again. So I went and saw it again. I was like, man, this was just not as good. Like it, it just wasn't. And then I went again today, and I was just like, man, I am really – I have so many problems with this movie now. I just don't know whether I could sit through it in the cinema again. Well, I really don't. Yeah, for me, it was basically more of just I wanted to having make sure to. having to for the show and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, yeah, understandable. It, yeah it's, it's kind of like uh, three times here, and it'll, it'll be a while before I ever watch it again. But yeah, don't blame you. Let's kind of we'll we'll jump into the movie. But like, does anybody want to bounce off like what anybody said in our ratings? Um, I think you made a lot of great points. Um, yeah, I, the Sabak. I, I enjoyed the Sabak. I think a lot more than you. Um, I see where you're coming from, though. Like, you could have done like the James Bond slash Maverick style intense win lose ship poker game, and in the Star Wars universe, that could have been a lot of fun too. It was just I like it, I, 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 for me, it was just like like we got him at the table. Like none of the other players were even involved. It was just between them two. Um, I don't know how to play Sabacc, so it's like and 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 so like none of like when they're throwing down cards and shit it means really nothing to me i'm just basically going off of their reactions and i don't know i felt like that first game was 100% unnecessary like the ship that supposedly lando wins from han is never even brought up again <laughs> and it's just i it just felt like um it just was not super cool to me. I, I of course, I loved watching Lando, uh, Donald Glover play Lando and call him Han and all that stuff, and he sounds great. But it, that game was not intense. It was just not like, oh my god, I've been waiting forty years to see this game, and it was everything I hoped for and more. And it was, <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't. It was yeah. so lackluster and unmemorable. And they end up getting the same shit out of him that they went there to do. All they had to do is ask him to be a part of the crew. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> just get, yeah. just get Amelia Clark to ask him, and he'll just do it. Right. Because that's what happened. She was like, "We need the ship." He's like, "Okay." Uh, yeah you're right it had a little bit of that return of the jedi special edition feel to it too where it's like it could have felt a little bit seedier and scarier on top of everything yeah yeah um han (laughs) i did find this interesting han claims to own the vcx 100 in the card game against lando and the vcx 100 is the model of the ghost in star wars rebels it is 
Yeah, it's a good ship. Really yeah. good ship. Mm-hmm. But he's a fucking lion. <laughs> he's lying of course off. he is. <laughs> and then, what was it? After after the card game and after all that happened, uh, it was um, uh, Lando meets up with Beckett and thanks him for killing Aura Singh. Aura Singh. Yes. Yeah. Aura Singh was a, a bounty hunter. and yeah, um, She was a badass bounty hunter. Yeah, during the Clone Wars. First, first appearance in episode one. Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, she she was, um, yeah, she was uh, at the Bunta Eve Classic, the pod race. Yep. And uh, she became acqu- uh, acquainted with Hondo Anaka. I love Hondo. Um, and then after the outbreak of the Clone Wars and the death of fellow bounty hunter Jango Fett, Singh trained Fett's son, Boba Fett, and helped him in an unsuccessful attempt to kill Jedi Master Mace Windu, who killed Jango on Geonosis. Um, she also, she also, um, took jobs with Bosk. Got mentioned as well. Yeah. yeah, fucking job, didn't and, he? Yeah, boss got mentioned in this as well by Val. Val said, "Like, why didn't instead of getting Han and Chewie, like, why didn't we get like the the Zan sisters?" And I found out the Zan. There are no real official Zan sisters in canon, but there is Zan and Zoo, and they are sisters. And they were first mentioned in uh, Shadows of the Empire, and they have been characters since in other stories. But um, Bosk also helped raise Boba Fett as well. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, I think they're kind of like laying the groundwork here with some of these drops to for the Boba Fett film as well, possibly. Um, yeah. I'm not saying, well, like, did- we're not going to see, like, I, who knows? I don't know what we're going to get in that Boba <laughs> Fett film, but we'll talk about that later. Yeah, I did like the way that, like, a lot of the Easter eggs in this, they were just kind of, like, character drop names and that, that seemed to make sense in, you know, like, what groups have, like, been yeah. together in Rebels and Clone Wars and stuff like that. It wasn't so ham-fisted as, you know, Rogue One, where you, you just had, like, like the two guys from the bar in New Hope oh, just turn up oh, yeah. <laughs> saying exactly the same damn thing yeah. said back no, in 77. I, I, <laughs> I really ridiculous. enjoyed it for that, was the fact they handled the Easter eggs really well. Yeah, and I like, agree, They were proper Easter eggs. You, if you knew what they were talking about, you got it. If you didn't, that was it. Whereas yeah. the Rogue One were like, this isn't easy. Like, big, big neon arrows pointing yeah. to it, saying, this is an Easter egg. <laughs> you should know is. this reference. Look who this is. <laughs> Woo. And fucking like, they did it really well with the, like, the Ura Singh and the Bosque reference and, as you said, the, the Ghost reference and all the others. They handled it really nicely. So that was a big plus for it. Yeah, I liked hearing the, the 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 kind of like the technical names for the ships as well because if you're not like if if you understand those if you're like a big enough fan of the ships and things to know those like when he talks about like uh, when him and Lando were talking like about the YT uh, 1300 yeah. that was that's really nice and like just I just like that kind of technical side of it I thought it was like a little a nice little sort of not a ridiculous tip of the hat with the neon arrows but just like a nice little wink to people that kind of look in a bit deeper it was cool yeah, what did yeah you guys- I agree with that Dan I really loved the Millennium Falcon is probably like one of my favorite characters because of that I thought more, more than any other movie we really got to see like what it takes to pilot that thing yeah, and we also got to see it full as well with the escape pod on it for the first mm, time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was sweet, you know, because, like, it, 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 
takes off after they sort of they get the the clamp off of it and it looks different and it took me like a little while to go that doesn't look like the millennium falcon that i know and then you know later on they shoot the uh the escape pod out and i was like oh wow that, that was really smart <laughs> it's a cool bit of design and you know stuff that was just linked into the story i really enjoyed that okay as far as easter eggs and we're, we're gonna unpack the movie more but i want to like knock some of these out right now what did you guys think about the lando saying my mining colonies are the worst <laughs> that was fucking hilarious <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that, did you guys notice that? Yeah, okay. Of course, Cloud City is a mining colony, but did yeah, you guys? Isn't it like, a, is it a gas mining colony? That's what it is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Did you guys notice that he had a miniaturized version of Cloud City, like a, it was a chrome model on on the Millennium Falcon? No, I did not see no, that. No. Yeah, there was also a there was also a chrome model of the Millennium Falcon itself on there. So it's like, you know, that's. So he had that as a vision in his mind. And so I think when he says mining colonies are the worst, he was actually thinking of like, well, I could do it better and make it a lot, you know, more <laughs> beautiful or something. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's such a classy Profitable. guy. Yeah. yeah. So, and he won his mining colony in a, in a card game, right? Yep. So I think, yeah. Yeah, I think that's correct. Yeah. All right, let's let's jump let's jump into the actual movie here. I mean, we're just kind of like bouncing all over the place right now, but what did you guys think about like all the stuff at the beginning of the film where we start off on Corellia? Um, I thought it was pretty cool. Um, you could definitely see a lot of the Ron Howard influence in this stuff, right? It felt like he was trying to mimic like the old like American graffiti Lucas stuff a little bit here. Like couldn't help but feel that influence i don't know if it was for the better or the detriment of the scenes but it really felt like they were aiming for that a little bit right with the cars and everything oh yeah yeah the chase scenes and and all that stuff and you know him you know outrunning the moloch or whatever coming after him i liked i did i loved i loved all this beginning stuff i really did i thought it was a lot of fun i loved um the 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 look of Corellia just looked like just like you know factory and like I like the setup here like everybody on Corella these there's these scrum rats is what they call them basically are working for um you know uh Lady Proxima who gives them shelter and food and all this stuff and like Han was like Han was one of these kids that was running these scams and like he was doing this just to survive and I was trying and I want to ask you guys this question because this is something that's kind of been bothering me, and I flip-flop back and forth as far as Kira's concerned. Um, I think the movie did a decent job of showing us that Kira did love Han at one time. But then it's sometimes I think to myself, was she with Han because she truly loved him? Or has it always been somewhat of a survival plan for her? She saw Han as maybe a way off Corellia. You know, so yeah. she's going to stick yeah. with this guy who has these ambitions of getting off the planet one day. And is it really about – she may think she loves him because, like, you'd think by the end of the – like, with all the time that they spent together on Corellia and being away and pining for each other for three years, that by – even though she got red sparrowed and brainwashed, that she might there might be a part of her that would leave all that world for Han and 
are you picking up what I'm saying here? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I thought exactly mm-hmm. the same thing, especially at the end of the film, where you know she basically turns on him and kind of like becomes the the kind of the boss of the uh, shit. What are they called? The Crimson, Crimson Dawn, Dawn the yeah. Crimson Dawn. Yeah. So when she does that that made me look back at the rest of the movie and just think, was she like playing him this entire time? Yeah. So I thought uh, that part of the ending I, I enjoyed because it did make me kind of look back on it and just think, was she just, you know, like you said, she was just in it for herself all yeah. the way through. She was just playing him. So yeah, it was, I, I, I like that like ambiguity with like what she was doing. I did not like Amelia Clark's performance in this. Um, I'm not a massive fan of hers anyway. Uh, I thought she was amazing in Game of Thrones the first few seasons, but then it just felt like she's been phoning it in. And everything I've seen of her since, she just comes off as like wooden and just doesn't. It's like nothing behind the eyes. It's really weird. She, she kind of Felicity candled it, didn't she? Felicity Sorry, Felicity Jones. <laughs> Sorry, Felicity Jones. <laughs> yeah, 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 it wasn't. It wasn't as bad as Felicity Jones. I'll say that. But but no. But I just didn't. I don't know, man. She just. I don't know. She just feels like a sociopath to me when I see her on screen. It's just like there's nothing there. It's like watching like a shark like bite into a piece of meat and their eyes roll like roll over black. That's what I see when she's acting. It's terrible. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Damn, damn. When, when Amelia Clark is on TV, it's fucking Shark Week with you. That's hilarious. It is. <laughs> <laughs> she should be in the next she should be in the next Jaws reboot right <laughs> yeah. yeah just fucking looks at the, the shark and it just runs away because it's terrifying yeah, I don't know I had I did have some issues with her as well I think like my main issues with her were like the times where they tried to make her a little bit too much like Princess Leia like when they were on the Spice Mines of Kessel and she's chucking those grenades and I'm and yelling at him come on get on the ship and I'm like that no that leave that for Leia Stop it. Stop yeah, trying to exactly. stop trying to show her as a leader like Leia and show us that Han is attracted to those types of women. Stop it. Yeah. And, and, and then and especially stop it because, you know, of what she does later on. It's like that doesn't seem fitting in her character. It, I wasn't sold on basically anything. And then when and then when she's at the Spice Mines Castle and she uses they she's talking to uh that one leader of the pikes there and the guy who's dripping he looks like a cappuccino machine's on his face and he's yeah. dripping <laughs> yeah. the entire time <laughs> so she takes him behind like the door and she pulls off like these crazy moves and kicks his ass but we yeah. never see any of it no you just see the cape whirling that's it you see this cape twirling and it's like why not show us that moment like um, I mean, I thought she did say that it, uh, she learned Terakasi from Dryden Voss, and I yeah. just like literally, I would say, probably a week or two ago, I watched the Angry Video Game Nerd, and he was playing Star Wars games, and he plays a fighting game called Star Wars Universe. Uh, it was called um, Star Wars Fighting. It was called Masters of Terakasi. And yep. it was on the original PlayStation, and it's terrible. And that I didn't know. I, I had that game. You had that. Yeah, game. Oh, it it looked terrible, but I I was like, oh my god! They actually I didn't know if if they've ever brought Terrace Kasi into actual canon before. No, so. I think this is the first time we've ever heard it. Yeah, 
So yeah, I liked I liked the I liked the nod, and I thought it was cool. I I know what you mean, dude. It was like you wanted to see what was actually happening, but then it was kind of played for laughs as you were just kind of seeing L 3s reaction to it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what did you guys think of L three? Um, I loved L three. I feel like L three is maybe the most holdover thing from the Lord Miller in these movies. Like that's mm. wild speculation for me. Yeah. But that really feels Lord Miller to me. Do you want me to tell you not what, Ron Howard? Do you want me to tell you what feels Lord Miller to me? Tell me. The Calrissian Chronicles. <laughs> uh, that was great. The Calrissian Chronicles when he was doing his holographic diary. That's, that was hilarious. That yeah. felt yeah. the most Phil Lord and Chris Miller to me in the entire film. I was like, that is Phil Lord and Chris Miller and Donald Glover all just having fun right there. Yeah, yeah, good just, chance that wasn't in the Kasdan script. Yeah. <laughs> feet, feet up on the dash, laying back in the cockpit, just recording yeah. himself, talking about his adventures and what he's been up to. Yeah. Really funny. Yeah. yeah. Old man Kasdan didn't write that. He was too grumpy to think of something that funny. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, uh, yeah, so I mean, that bit was, that was played for last. And I really, really liked L3. Um, I'm gonna, I'm, she's probably my favorite droid that I've seen. I thought that like um, uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge was amazing doing the voice, and I really enjoyed the script as well for her. I thought it was it was a really interesting take on a droid. Like that, you know, they were suggesting that um, Lando said that he was thinking about getting her memory wiped, but it wasn't. What was he said? He said I was thinking about it, but she's got the best says, navigational system data bank or whatever ever yeah yeah so he kind of puts up with like her kind of surly like <laughs> attitude like her weird left-wing attitude yeah and I, I i love the animation on the robot as well i thought she had that kind of like that swagger like that female swagger which i've never seen that like this yeah like because like empowered droid <laughs> i thought it was really cool did they imply yeah. that sex would work between her and lando was that implied <laughs> I definitely yes. did. Yes, yeah, 100%. Did a percent I, <laughs> I, I just think, like, we've got two of these solo, uh, of these Star Wars stories in a row now with sarcastic droids. The, the, the token salty droid. Yes. That and is I'm, exactly what I was going to say. I'm worrying it's going to, it's a bit of a, uh, a thing. Yeah. We're going to get I'm, another I'm with, one in the next one. I'm with Dan. I thought it was different enough. And, like, the, kind of so interested in the politics of the other robots and kind of what's going on and robot law was kind of a whole new take we hadn't really seen in star wars yet you know oh sure i mean you can you can yeah i'm just saying like this is two films in a row with sarcastic droids which kind of have a chip on their shoulder one for equal rights and 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 droid civil rights and the other one was just basically k2so was just very untrusting of pretty much everybody so yeah, he was like a nihilist. He just didn't give a shit about anything. And I'm not, I'm not saying like it didn't work here. And like, oh, I don't like L3 because of that. I thought Phoebe Waller Bridge did a fantastic job playing the character. But I yeah. think what me and Matt are saying is like, is this a trend they're going to continue? Like, yeah, let's hope it doesn't become a trope that we. That's yeah, exactly. something that we need. Yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoyed her. I thought it was she was a great addition and, and probably one of the, the the highlights of the film. But as, as Brian said, I don't really want it to be a thing. You know, uh, oh, who's the salty yeah. droid in this set, this saga film? Oh yeah. Well, this, well in the saga <laughs> films, you have the um, you've got the super chipper happy droid. You've got BB-8. <laughs> this is true. This is true. 
Yeah, but it's like, okay, the next film is going to be the Boba Fett film, and like, ooh, what's his droid going to be like? <laughs> oh, man, it's That'll really going to be snarky. Oh, uh, who would it be? Well, it's oh. going to be Iggy, surely. Yeah, Iggy, uh, IG-88. IG-88. Oh, yeah. God, yeah, yeah IG-88. <laughs> I always wanted them to bring the uh, the robot from Knights of the Old Republic in there somewhere. The one that, like, says what he means before he says it, and he's also on a mission to kill everybody. <laughs> I always wanted that guy. So he's like, he, he, he like, he said, he lies and then he literally says at the end, lying, <laughs> something like that. It's <laughs> really cool. That would have been good. Uh, yeah, let's talk about, uh, we were talking about L3, so I kind of wanted to talk about this as well. Of course, like L3 dies in the film with after the whole, like, breakout at the, um, Spice Mines of Kessel and starts this droid and slave rebellion. And, um, yeah, I, I I thought I, I thought it was a lot of fun. I, I enjoyed seeing seeing that kind of like scene kind of like go crazy. You know, they had a plan in place, and like L three kind of like liberates these droids, and they, yeah, and they starts taking right. the restraining bolts off. <laughs> and, and throughout that, you know, I, I did enjoy it. Um, I I did like seeing Chewie finding some other Wookies here. It was nice seeing Chewie, you know, like interacting with other Wookies instead of just like you know like in what was it like episode two when they're on Kashyyyk and it's not a, it's, it doesn't give us enough really no and this no, I agree. and this like you know he 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 like frees those Wookiees and helps save um Sagwa um who's played by Anthony Daniels and um he gives him like the little head bump at the end and basically says goodbye and I um I found out that I guess they're from the same yeah they're tribe from, they're also uh He's a native of Rook, Rook Roar, which is the capital of Kashyyyk. And I don't know if they're from the same tribe or not, but he's from the capital of Kashyyyk. So that was like in the official solo book. But uh, Yeah, so we don't really know much about those that yeah. particular group of Wookiees at all. And the nice thing about having like this new guy, this this Junus uh, Swantamo guy playing him, is like he's 6'11", he's a big guy. But like some of the if I, some of the stunts they pulled off, I love that one. Like he, they pick up the like the one uh, trooper or whatever, the soldier, and he just like head slams him into the yeah. ground. Mm-hmm. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah that uh, Chewie in this movie is one of my favorite parts because it, you know in all of the like all the Star Wars movies, aside from the odd occasion, you don't really see Chewie like going full Wookiee on people and in this movie it gave me exactly what I wanted it showed us how strong he is it showed us like just before that bit you're talking about Brian he has the staff he lifts that guy off the ground and slams him into the ceiling yeah Um, Uh, he rips the guy's arms off Yes, exactly. We finally get it. That was the it. uniform that would have fitted me. <laughs> yeah, perfectly. Yeah. Now that was just seeing that done. It, I mean, like I've said it on the show, but I've also like said it, you know, on other sort of like the army page and the PCL page. You know, I'm not the biggest like Han Solo fan, but I fucking love Chewie. I've I've always been a huge fan of Chewie, and seeing him do these action scenes and seeing this this young guy sprinting as Chewie, it it, it just fills my heart with joy because I'm actually seeing like in the cinema for the first time what Chewie can actually do what he's been doing in my head all this time seeing it played out on the screen was just gold for me I loved it one of my biggest oh go ahead Jake 
I, I thought the introduction to Chewie was fantastic. Yes. I, I also thought Chewie was one of the best parts of the film. And yeah. Man, the introduction was so good. Like, I, I was the dumb audience member, and I was like, oh, is it going to be a rancor down here? And I was like, <laughs> yeah. oh. Oh, no, it's Chewie. And, like, actually, like, a little girl sitting behind me went, it's Chewie, when it showed up. And <laughs> honestly, I was like, okay, this little girl knows better than me what's going on, so... <laughs> Dude, I was right there with you. I had no idea that it was Chewbacca, and then and then when I saw like the furry hand, then I was like, "Oh my god, it's gonna be is it? Is, oh, again, it is!" So it was, yeah. that was a lot of fun. Uh, One of my biggest problems, I'm, though. Go I'm ahead. Sorry, I was gonna real quick. Though, I just really appreciate that's such a big moment that they easily could have chat on in a trailer or a commercial, mm. and like they I, they really held that one close to the chest, and I really appreciate that. I absolutely hated. The way Han Solo got his last name. Yes. Oh, well, from some random guy at a fucking check-in desk. From, yeah, from the <laughs> Imperial officer at the uh, Imperial, um, like... Like the sign-in booth. Yeah, basically, like, he could have been working at booth. the DMV, for all we know. Like, <laughs> that was terrible did you guys hear the uh imperial march over the commercial in front of the yeah, yeah okay i thought mm, yeah I, I was like am i hearing things or is that the imperial march playing uh but anyway the way he got his last name is absolutely terrible and i feel like this film kind of like there's stuff it does well as far as like giving us origin stuff for solo this was 100 fucking percent blasphemy and unnecessary and terrible his last name should just be his fucking last name you got to give an origin to everything we find we we in this we get we see him get the dl44 blaster from beckett that's fine whatever yeah. we see him get the falcon we see him meet chewy we see him do this we see him the kessel run we see all the i don't need a of him getting his last fucking name <laughs> oh man I, w I wish i could argue this for fun but I, I can't man it's like it's the fact that you see it coming a mile away that like a million people should have knew that this didn't work oh god yeah like, no I'm one in their seat knew like didn't know what the next word the guy was going to say was and that does not make it better for it the only know? thing that they could have done to make the scene better is was like if in the next line right next to him was joseph gordon levitt and he was telling them oh well you can use my other name robin <laughs> uh, or, or mj yeah oh, yeah, yeah mj yeah spider-man homecoming reference this this is this is like some of the some of the origin stuff i had no problem with at all like I, these are things that i want to see but i definitely had a huge problem with this and some problems with the sabat game but I mean, everything else, like, fine. DL-44 Blaster, fine. That's cool. Beckett gave it to you. Pretty awesome. We get to see that handed down to him. Um, you know, but, uh, man, getting his last name from an Imperial officer in a line. Why <laughs> <laughs> wasn't he called Han No Mates? <laughs> oh, I like it. And lonesome. <laughs> and lonesome. Yeah, that's a that's a great idea. At least have the imperial officer get it wrong and have Han give himself the fucking name. Yeah, do something better than that. It's awful. How yeah. did you guys feel about Chewie eating people? Loved it. Well, yeah, okay. great. Yeah, I mean, I didn't he, like it. He was well. I mean, 
uh, Ewoks eat people, and yeah. Chewie, yeah, I suppose. Chewie eats porgs, so. I don't think that. I don't think Chewbacca wanted to eat people. It's either that or die. It's like basically like he's in that that 1990 movie about the soccer team on the mountain alive, and he <laughs> and, and he's kind of he's forced to. <laughs> yeah, like they said, they hadn't fed him in three days. Yeah, so he was going to be hungry, and it's like I, I, I love that man. I thought it was great. It also, I mean, as far as it being like you know, he's a fucking, he's a Wookiee, he's a goddamn beast. I, I enjoyed that, but it also showed that how mistreated he was. Aside from just being in that like slot pole with a chain wrapped around him, you know, they were they were starving the poor guy. Oh, and yeah. you know, I, I loved that reveal. Like it was one of those things in the movie that I thought I didn't know. Obviously, how they were going to introduce Chewie into this film. I thought it was a great way to bring him in and to have like Han start speaking Wookiee. And Chewie's like, huh? And still have a chat. <laughs> yeah. Have a chat. And then they do the plan to let's take out the pillar that drops the guards. I thought that was awesome. He kind of saw like Han in that moment as kind of like, um, not, I don't know. I don't want to say like Wookiee sympathizer, but like somebody that like, you know, it's probably been a while since anybody's talked to him in, in Wookiee. So, oh, and I want to point, I love the way Rio Durant says Wookiee. Wookiee. I love it. Yeah. yeah I, I didn't know it was John Favreau. John Favreau, Rio. yeah. And yeah, oh I god. Loved Rio man. He Me went too. Out way too soon. I love you you will never get a deeper sleep than sleeping in a Wookiee's <laughs> lap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love beautiful. Can we talk about uh, Alden Ehrenreich? Let's talk about Alden Ehrenreich real quick. And I I, I want us to take a break after this, but Alden Ehrenreich um there were a few moments where I felt like he did channel Harrison Ford. And this meeting with Chewbacca was one of them. And I'm not talking about like the moment like where he's talking Wookiee. I'm, I'm talking about the moment where like Chewbacca's pushing him into the mud. He starts talking and then he looks at him and right, and he's calling him like a dumb Wookiee. Like right before then, he like his facial expression, his voice, everything. It's like he channeled Harrison Ford. It was unreal. It was so good. I was like, there are moments in this movie where he does channel Harrison Ford. Another one was at the very end when yes. they're at Emphis Nest, um, uh, uh, is there to meet them on Savarine after they're, you know, re- uh, getting the, the coaxium refined. And and he's talking about how there's 30 men waiting inside that ship down there, <laughs> and they're going to come out here, and they'll surround you. And I'm like, that is fucking Han. That is Han. And there are moments where he literally felt like to me like he channeled Harrison Ford but there's a lot where he didn't and it didn't feel like so it's kind of disjointed in that way yeah I I mean for me it goes back to what I said a few episodes ago it was something that I was always concerned about because if you have someone that comes in and basically does like an impression of of Harrison Ford it's going to go one or two ways it's going to be incredible like uh, Josh Brolin doing Tommy Lee Jones in Men in Black 3 it's just like he he just is a younger version of that character yeah that's fantastic or it's going to be a weird parody and it's going to be terrible so having Alden Ehrenreich kind to do his own thing and having those moments where like you said man like it just it there's just parts of it where he just he is harm mm-hmm. um but most of it he's 
he's playing the same character but he's doing it in a different way and whether or not you equate that to him being much younger and you know he's not like you said like uh, grizzled and kind of become the scoundrel yet um yeah it's I, I think that they went the right way about it by kind of having him do his own thing and not like aping what harrison ford did yeah too bad they couldn't have used the 70 to 80 million dollars that they spent on reshoots to just get Harrison Ford in the movie and de-age him. Like we- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I actually quite liked, um, Alden Eidenreich in this movie. I, I found him to be like, I don't know, it, it reminded me of like, kind of like an SNL impersonation, like just kind of the, got the essence just enough to recognize him as the character. And there, I agree, there were those moments of like, he was really channeling Han and, I don't know. He, he never really bothered me, though. I thought even no. at his worst, I, he was <laughs> he's definitely the, not my problem. With he's the least of my problems in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> the least of yeah. my problems. Yeah, I thought I thought he did. I, from what he was given and the way they decided to play this, I thought he did a great job. Yeah. I really did. He didn't bother me at all. It didn't take me out of the movie or anything like that. I just, like, obviously knowing, like, you know, the business side and, and the way this movie was made, I just think... I'm just going to give this guy a shot. Let's see what he does. And I thought he did a great job. I did too. I did too. But the, just, the times I'm talking about, like, the, there literally were times though I felt like, and I'm not trying to like watch the movie and like compare him to Han that we know from the films, from the original trilogy. I'm not. I'm just getting, I'm just trying to watch this character and watch it played out. But there were those times where I did get sucked in and pulled in a little bit more and like, oh my God, he's nailing it right now. Like whatever he's, yeah. whatever he's doing right now, he's nailing it. And he, and, and yeah. you know, and I mean, there were, t- same thing with Donald Glover as Lando. There were times where I felt like he was Lando. And then there were other times where I was like, eh, not so much here. Yeah, I'm glad you said that, man, because that's exactly what I thought about Donald Glover as well. There were parts of the film where I was like, oh, shit, that's Lando. And then there's other times where I just thought it's Donald Glover playing almost like a different version of Lando. But again, same thing with with, with Han is if they got someone to, to ape the role and like, you know, try and like do like an impression of Billy D, it, it just it wouldn't have worked. So having the two two great actors play these key roles, I think they did it in the correct way oh my god wouldn't it have been amazing Agreed. if the barkeep at the end of the movie was actually billy d and he hands him a colt 45 oh, shit. <laughs> every time every time hey uh kirby matt you haven't said a lot about alden ehrenreich and i wanted to know i wanted to get your thoughts like and you don't have to be like oh i echo you guys too you can be like no he oh. fucking sucked just let us know like i i want to know your opinion he on was this. he was the one bit in the film that i was worried about going into it and he was the one thing in the film that surprised me the most. That he 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 did nail Han and a lot of the a lot of the points, and he wasn't bad. Yeah. He wasn't he didn't take me out of the movie for most of his performances. So he was actually sort of the plus on the plus side of it again. Yeah. Whereas going in, he was the most worrying factor, wasn't he? I mean, that was what everyone was panicking about. Was like, is this guy going to be able to do Han well? Yeah. Yeah, you know, no one had a no one had a thought about Donald Glover not doing Lando or or anyone or the or the the story not being right. It was always going to be about him, and yeah. he actually handled it really well. Uh, yeah. and, and well done to him. Did yeah. you guys uh, notice? Uh, go ahead, Dan. I was going to say, man. It, like I said, like on another episode, it's an impossible task. It it really is. It's like you can't it, having Han Solo, who is 
one of the most iconic characters in cinema history. You show someone a picture of Harrison Ford with the blaster in the vest, they're going to say, oh, that's Han Solo. And to have someone else come in and play that role, it's almost impossible for him to, to do it justice. Mm. So I think he did an amazing job with, with what he had. It, oh, it's just it's so difficult to sort of say, oh yeah, he was great or bad or whatever yeah. because the, the, the mountain he had to climb is ridiculous. So I've got to give him props. And the thing is, is, like he had it even harder, in my opinion, than Harrison Ford did in the original trilogy because Harrison Ford, of course, could make the character his own. Like, he did. Yeah. And, he, and he made the character his own which is fantastic, but he also shared a lot of screen time with 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 uh, Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher. Like this movie is his movie, and he's not even in his own movie. It's like Harrison Ford. It's like Alden Ehrenreich is like the focus of this movie, and he's like in every scene. So it's like it's he got more screen time than Harrison Ford did in any of those movies individually. So yeah, th- yeah, there's there's no getting away from it, you know. Like yeah. you said, it's his film. So the fact that he didn't completely ruin this because it only takes one slip up, yeah, um, for everyone to like just fall off and be like, well, that's just not Han, you know. It, so the, the fact that us three who have uh, sorry us four that have tasted the film, uh, that that does speak volumes for his performance. He did a really good job. With the Han Solo smirk when he said goodbye to Emphis Nest. Oh yeah, and yeah, that was a, that was a good one. I was fucking impressed. I was like, oh, I, and, oh, and another thing that he nailed for me that was that was crucial was the first, and it was the swelling of the music too. But the first time he laid eyes on the Falcon really worked. It really yeah. worked. I uh, I got emotional. It was a, a mixture of the music. And just like the look on his face, like moments before calling it like, oh, it's going to be a piece of crap. And then he comes across it and he's just kind of like, this is the ship. This is the ship that I would want to take Kira away from this world on. Like this is that yeah. ship. And it was just like – it was kind of like um, um, King Arthur and the sword, you know? Like <laughs> this was that moment, you know? It was awesome. Yeah, I, I had a moment that um, it's not just down to his performance, but down to like uh, like really good like direction as well. Is when he's about to like um, going to uh, like light speed through the crack that's closing down yeah. in the the maelstrom, and they they focus like it's jump cuts between like the, the space he has to go through the, the console, um, his hands like all over the controls, and then just for a split second they just like close they just close in on. His his eye and the focus and I, I absolutely like the focus through like, um, you know, of him like trying to like perform this maneuver. And I love that because that little moment shows you what an incredible pilot Han actually is. And, you know, in the original movies, aside from like, you know, the kind of like the spinning loops and things like that, and that we see, you know, outside the ship, it was nice to have this really concentrated look of what he was actually doing in the cockpit. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's take a quick break and come back and then unpack this movie a little bit more. Cool. All right, yeah, we are back. Um, I wanted to talk about, like, one of the scenes that I thought, like, really kind of, like, it worked for me quite a bit was when Kira and Han were waiting in line to bribe the Imperial officer with the refined coaxium and... They're okay. I, I thought this was interesting before I get to that point. They are talking about like where they're going to go if they get through. And 
Han says, anywhere the Empire isn't. And then Kira says, if they get caught, they could be taken by Crimson Dawn or the Hut gang. And moments later, after this all goes down, Han <laughs> willingly enrolls into the Imperial Army. And Kira, we find out, is basically taken by Crimson Dawn. So it's like <laughs> both of those two things that they didn't want, that was in their future for both of them. I thought that that was kind of crazy. But it really, like, when they were separated from one another, that scene worked for me. Except the fact that they kept trying to show us the golden dice, which... Oh, oh I hate the dice. It, it didn't work. And I was like, they kept throwing that in our face. Uh, in The Last Jedi and then in The Force Awakens, I believe. Was it first introduced in The Force Awakens or was it first introduced in The Last Jedi? Yeah, it was forcefully introduced in The Force Awakens, I believe. And then again, you know, of course, Mark Hamill, when he boards the Millennium Falcon for the first time in The Last Jedi, sees them hanging up in the cockpit and then hands them over to Leia, who just leaves them on the ground in that movie. <laughs> Maybe she knew they came. On the ground. She did. She threw them on the ground. And then... <laughs> and like, fuck that guy. Well, I don't want none of that shit. Yeah, it's like, it's like, I don't want what you gave to Kira. I know that story when we talked about our exes, whatever. Yeah. She's like, I fuck yeah, you keep yeah. your old hussy's dice. Yeah. I, I, I hope her and Ezra Bridger had a fling and she told him about that, but, um, <laughs> but, um, you see, yeah, I don't know. The, the whole dice thing that were, but everything else in that scene really worked for me. Just like seeing them yeah. two separated and like, how sad he was and and it all just kind of all kind of clicked for me in that moment i really thought the emotion was high in in that scene so i agree everything worked the music was good in that scene uh, my least favorite part about that scene is it, you get the goofy tropey thing where you're always cutting to the guys that are still looking around and moving closer and like that that part was a little bit goofy like less Less of that. The music was working just good enough, I thought. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's like we know they're there. Stop. We you know. Stop showing them. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um. One of the thing. One of the things I noticed about this movie is that Ron Howard has as much of a hard on for steam and mist and fog as J.J. Abrams does for lens flare. Did anyone else notice <laughs> yes, that? Yes. I noticed that a lot. Oh God! Fucking planet! Every yes. fucking scene was coated in this either very very thick mist or fog, or very very light mist oh, or God. fog. Oh God! Discount on bulk buy fog machines. Yeah, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> fucking dry ice was on sale when they were making this movie. It was ridiculous. And even like Brian said earlier, the dude with the cappuccino face—he had it coming out of his goddamn face. <laughs> it was ridiculous. That's hilarious about the fog. That makes me think back to the Variety article where they were like, oh, Ron Howard was really great. He could make sets a quarter of the size that uh, Miller and Lord could. Well, yeah, yeah no shit he could. He just fucking <laughs> filled all the empty space with fog. Mimbin. That's a good point. Yeah, the planet of, of – I, I had a really hard – it was fine in IMAX because, like, everything is, like, on those DLP screens, it's real vibrant. But when I saw yeah. it – two other times in 2D like when I got to Mimbin the mud, mud planet where Han's the mud trooper like yes that whole planet looked like like a London fog commercial it was just yeah. ridiculous it, yeah it, you couldn't see shit like at all and it's like you know Star Wars is known for having these beautiful vistas and gorgeous scenery and amazing set work and half the time you couldn't see it like it's all encapsulated in like one room um oh man that that, that 
that annoyed me quite a lot. It was like this weird kind of stylistic choice that they put throughout the whole damn movie. Can we, talk, of, can we talk about Val and like Tandy Newton's character of Val? Like, cause yeah, who exactly? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so underused and, and, and basically like she, she sacrifices her life so that they can make off with the, with 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 the coaxium, I, I I didn't understand. I know she was pinned down; she lost her gun. But I mean, think of another way than just like sacrificing yourself and blowing up the bridge. I I don't know, and just don't do that. I mean, you got a great actress here, and I I really in, enjoyed the character for like what little we got of her. But I don't know, man. I just felt like she was underused, and you know, I don't know. I just, I, I really wasn't a big fan of taking her out so early in the movie. And then like Beckett acts more, he, he barely reacts to it. It's, and yeah, that, that's, yeah, it. I thought his, I thought his recovery from that was really quick. And a bit. <laughs> it was faster than oh, Leia. <laughs> it was faster than Leia getting over Alderaan being destroyed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I agree, dude. It was like, you got Tandy Newton and, and uh, as being like a fan of Westworld as you are. And so am I, we know how great an actress she is. And it just seems such a waste to kill that character. Yeah. Off. And, uh, I thought there was so much more they could explore between Beckett and Val. Um, uh, it, that actually really bummed me out seeing her go out like that. And it was like, we get introduced, we yeah. realize that they have this relationship. And I was like, oh, this is going to be cool. You know, it's like we've got this, this very tight partnership going on, leading this group. And then she dies and he doesn't give two fucks. He just doesn't care. <laughs> cut really cut the next scene. I don't yeah. give a shit anymore. Yeah, yeah. It's a shame. that's a great point. Oh god, and the Rio Durant dying bummed me out, and especially like he's like, Valor's right, you don't want to die alone, and I'm thinking, oh man. <laughs> I thought this was a family movie. Uh, <laughs> I know, it's like, he did, uh, it's so sad that, that, that Rio didn't have a woman in his life with sharp teeth. That was another yeah. line I love. <laughs> Does she have sharp teeth? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was a great character, man. And I, I just, it, for the few lines that he had and the little screen time that he had, I, lo- I just loved his script. I just thought that, like, the writing of that character was brilliant. It was, it was very funny. And, but, like, when he gets shot and, um, over the comms, he said, he's like, I'm doing fine. And, um, you know, Beckett is like, he's not doing fine. It's like, he could hear it, but it's, it was awesome. Like, you know, he's the, just from that line, you can tell that, you know, he's in it for like, if the crew and the score and he's going to like try his absolute damnedest, even though he knows he's probably going to die. It yeah. was, uh, it was really cool. And fuck the burns, like the CGI on those burns over his shoulder. That looked painful as hell. That yeah. Was really cool. Yeah. Oh God. I love John Favreau did a fantastic job with the, just just that character just just a just a just a fun nice guy and he was the one that was kind of like you know like i like this kid i like han i like this kid you know he's got moxie you know and he's like uh, (laughs) and and wanted to bring him aboard (laughs) and bring him aboard and make him one of the crew and i I like that i really like that about his character he wasn't kind of like like what we've gotten from the droids in the last two episodes and i'm not saying like i don't like that either but he wasn't he wasn't as like untrusting as val was he was just kind of like a, a fun carefree 
guy who just like I, I, I always kind of like wonder like what's his backstory like like you know he, he talks about his dream of like opening a bar one day and all these things like but what got him into this lifestyle of being a criminal and it's like oh there's so yeah. many questions just such a fun character he seemed too nice to be a criminal I think he did it because he's just <laughs> yeah. he's just so good at being a he's just so good at being a, a pilot but he he probably doesn't want to be in like an army he he just wants to be, have fun and i felt like that's that's who the character is i really liked him yeah, yeah. I, I he was awesome man i i i fucked the boba fett like prequel i want to see a rio backstory that's what I see. <laughs> <laughs> let's get on that shit i loved it when he was when they were all around the campfire and and each of his arms was all doing yes. a different thing whilst he was talking it's just gorgeous really yeah cool. he's stirring the food blowing on the soup the other arm is like doing something with a gun i believe i mean yeah so. and then he's got like a drink in the other hand yeah. as well it's, it was brilliant and seeing him like work the controls to the ship and have him like hopping from seat to seat and yeah. using every single lever that brilliant great character design and like beautiful adjusting his well. pants pulling his pants <laughs> up while he was in front of him <laughs> that, was, that was fantastic oh <laughs> uh, that was good uh let's talk about emphasis nest so um, this whole time, Jake, we've been kind of like trying to figure out who is Emphis Nest. For the longest time, you know, the marketing wasn't really helping us with this. At one time, they said Emphis Nest was a him. Then they kind of took that away and started using pronouns according to the character. And then we heard that it might be a female. And so we're saying, oh, could it be Val? Could Val turn on them in the future? Uh, could it be Kira herself is Emphis Nest? Neither. It was basically just some random girl. But I'll tell you one thing. I loved the first introduction to Emphis Nest in this. The cloud riders coming in there on these uh, cloud bikes and uh, going after them. And the music, the score was great. It was almost kind of like um, uh, like kids singing, kind of like in an... Uh, like in it, just kind of like chanting like an opera or something like that. It was just a really cool score when uh, Emphis Nest came on screen. But you're talking about the whole train action sequence, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I agree. The score on that was some of the best score I thought in the whole movie. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was probably the best action sequence during the whole movie too. Honestly, I like that. I did really enjoy the Castle Run. I did. I liked the Castle Run as well. I thought that was a lot of fun. But this this action sequence is like. You know, like, yeah, Space Western. Here they are hijacking a train. And I love that, you know? And I, cause I love, I love Westerns. And then you throw Star Wars into the, into that mix. And I'm going to enjoy it. And, and, uh, yeah, I really, I really enjoyed that whole part with the, the convey X and them trying to steal the coaxium. I just didn't like the way Val went out. And it was sad to see Rio go. But man, there was so much stuff going on in that scene. And it was a lot of fun. And, um, Emphis Nest with the with that staff, man, that thing was powerful. That was cool, really cool. That's like the, Sonic the vibro pulse. Axe. Yeah, yeah. So like, yeah, the vibro blade, and then with like the sonic emitter or something on the bottom that she could blast people away with. Yeah, Whew. yeah, that was good shit. Yeah, I was a, a BD one cutter vibro axe. Oh, thank you. You want to be really, really nerdy? <laughs> wow, <laughs> you know I do. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, I'm gonna get a, I'm gonna get even nerdier with you. Uh, according to the solo official guide, um, when they talk about Emphis Ness helmet, um, the uh, arm mounted uh, fan like shields that are the like the, the blades that are forged on on the mask. Uh, mm -hmm. 
they're it's uh, they're forged from Beskar, which is uh, Mandalorian iron, and it's strong enough to deflect a lightsaber. And um, one Whoa. of one of the best details is literally spelled out for the fans, uh, but you can only you, you if you can you can only read it if you can read Arabesh. And somebody had. Um, deciphered what it said and it's it's painted across the top of her helmet it reads until we reach the last edge the last opening the last star and can go no higher so yeah yeah that's cool i thought that was cool (laughs) that's awesome yeah 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 i thought she was i i thought she was like sort of like erin kellerman i thought she did a good job with with emphys but uh i more enjoyed the actual kind of like the plot and the story that went along with those characters that the reveal that yeah they're they're like they're like a band of like misfits from all different planets that like the empire and the crimson dawn have like the destroyed or enslaved or fucked over in some kind of way and that they are one of the groups that from what i'm reading into the story they're one of the groups that kind of start the rebellion yeah, yeah, like this is like we're seeing almost like the birth of the rebellion here. Yeah, and I thought that that was great. They start off as bad guys, and then right, you know, towards the end of the movie, you you realize that no, they're they're the good guys, and it's it's the smugglers and and everyone else that is is fucking them over. They're doing it for profit. It's it's pretty damn cool. I thought that was wicked. And I, of course, Weasel, of uh, you know, is one of the Marauders, uh, Warwick Davis. But did you guys notice that Two Tubes was one? as well yes yep yeah and i found i found this out i was i was looking into it because when i was watching the movie i was like oh my god i think that's two tubes from rogue one who was one of saw guerrera's soldiers and so i went to star wars wikia and looked up two tubes and it, it was confirmed there and um i found out that there are two two tubes Really? Yes. One <laughs> two two tubes. Yes. There are <laughs> the two. Tubes. There are two two tubes. One is e, one is Idrio, and the other is Benthic. Benthic is the one who we see in this film as one of um, Empyssness's uh, Marauders or Cloud Riders. There's there's two of them. Uh, they're both nicknamed Two Tubes, and they share the nickname because they were eggmates. Both of them are from Tognath, and in Tognath culture, eggmates were individuals who shared a special bond due to their unhatched eggs, uh, eggs grafting together while being nurtured in suspension jelly. So, a little bit of backstory yeah. on those two. I did not know that there are two two tubes, Benthic and Idrio, and uh, we've seen Benthic in these films. And it's just kind of a neat thing that we see. Um, this is Benthic before he. J- so something happens with his relationship here with the Cloud Riders, and it gets a little bit more sinister with that character to where he joins up with Saul Guerrero's radical group. So kind of a cool Easter egg there, pun intended, with him being. In an unhashed, <laughs> grafted together egg um, with uh, Idrio. But yeah, I thought that was kind of cool that we got a, a two tubes appearance here. Yeah, that is cool. And like we were saying earlier, man, these the, the Easter eggs aren't, they're not ham fisted. They're in there and if you spot them, you spot them, but they don't have these these big signs above them going, look, look, remember this? It's, uh, uh, it's really, it's really what cool. What about, what about, what about Beckett wearing Lando's skiff? 
yeah, a guard cool. armor. Did you like that? I thought it was kind of like, like that. I was like, yeah. so he just keeps that. It's just been on the Falcon for the last 10, 10 15 yeah, years. A, it was a bit on the nose for me. <laughs> yeah. I have to admit, I'm with you, Dan. I'm with you. It's yeah. just like, did they have that in some kind of like one of Lando's hidden closets that they just went into <laughs> Lando's changing room, his dressing room and pulled that out of his costume drawer? It was in a box <laughs> under his cape wardrobe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was probably the, one of the most neon sign Easter eggs for sure. It was definitely the skiff costume. Yeah, the skiff yeah. costume. Yeah, I loved that. Uh, like I said at the beginning of the show, I loved seeing Weasel use the fucking rocket launcher. That was great. Yeah. Oh great god, with an enormous rocket launcher, and he's like, he's just like, just, just like Obi Wan. I got the high ground, bitch. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was cool. I did like that. That was now, awesome. Did you guys spot the Mandalorian armor? Yes. In, um, mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, Did you spot? Okay, the Mandalorian armor was in Dryden Voss's office, but did yeah. you also notice the Sith holocron in there? No. Yeah, there no. was there was a gigantic, like five times the size of a regular Sith holocron, and it was um, it spotted like two or three times. But um, at the beginning, when um, do you remember when Han is being asked by Dryden Voss? to open up the containers of coaxium to show him yeah the the refined product well behind him there's a gigantic pyramid um holocron on display and oh, shit, I did not see that yes it's like five times the size of a regular sith holocron but it's there that's cool man yeah. and that obviously like is a nice little reference into the big reveal at the end of the movie oh yeah yeah that's you guys want to get into that there are other there are some um, other film Easter eggs in Dryden Voss's office as well, aren't there? Yeah, the, the Indiana the Jones Indiana Jones ones. Yeah, yeah. There's the Indiana Jones alien skull, right? And the and the um, ch- chakra rocks, chakra stones. Oh, the chakra and, stones are in there from Temple the of Doom. Holy Grail's there as well. Oh wow, I didn't notice that. Yeah, I didn't yeah, notice apparently. any of that. The fucking Holy Grail's in his office. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> Okay. Apparently, going, you, going you, by these. This is Easter, Easter eggs that I found after watching it. Oh, okay. Righto. Yeah, I so saw the skull. I saw, no, I didn't swat it. I watched right. it. I, I was looking into it afterwards. Yeah, I saw the alien That's skull. I said, apparently. Okay. That's interesting. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, do we want to get to the big reveal or do? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I re- bury the lead if you want. I don't mind. Uh, should we talk about um, Dryden, uh, Paul Bettany's Dryden? I loved him. Loved him. Yeah, uh, Paul Bettany was great, I thought. He reminded me of a he reminded me of a Star Wars Bond villain here. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I, I didn't think he hammed it up too much. I, I thought he was really good, and I, I thought he actually did seem really threatening. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now, was it just me, or when he got angry, did his scars, like, get brighter? Hmm. Did that no, I did happen? not notice that. 
because I know I know yeah. that his eyes def- definitely got like more bloodshot, like the more pissed off he was. But for me, it was it, it was very subtle. Ah, I know what happened. The fog yeah. that they were using in that scene, <laughs> it had dissipated, so you could actually see <laughs> the scars brighten up a little bit more. Ron Howard was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, guys, we don't want to use the fog in this scene." <laughs> but then, it, not this scene, not this scene. But then again, we're not going to reshoot those because we're trying to save money here, and they call me frugal howard so let's keep going <laughs> but no i didn't i didn't notice that so you're saying that they they got brighter as he got angrier yeah and not but not by much it was something that i i, I noticed like the first time you started yelling like near near, near the beginning of his hmm. introduction and then i i so i i clocked onto that and then every time he got pissed off i would focus like on like like those scars and I swear to god they got brighter and like I said his eyes like started going bloodshot as well like gradually getting more more and more red which I thought if I mean his eyes definitely did it and whether or not I was seeing things and they they didn't get redder but I would have thought that would be really good if it didn't happen <laughs> but yeah I, I thought Paul Bettany um as Dryden was brilliant he was a really he was like a perfect blend of that kind of charismatic villain and but with that edge of being a complete psychopath you know like he would just like he's literally just like he's talking business he's talking business we're making deals we're making deals i don't agree with you right kill them all and he's about to leave the room and then they go no well you know there's this plan as well and he's like oh yeah tell me about that and then all of a sudden he's not going to kill everyone that's in there i thought he was great yeah well what are his weapons called i thought they were super neat the they were like knucklers okay yeah, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, I those, thought, like, vi- those vibro knucklers were awesome. I loved mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Yeah, they had a really cool sound effect. Definitely the way they lit up was super neat. Yeah, he was, and I agree with Dan, just like the instant turn from, oh, I'm going to kill you now, and to, oh, let's hear about that was, was pretty <laughs> fun. And he was always completely in control of the, everything, wasn't he? He just, he, yeah. he was 10 steps ahead of everybody right the way up until the end. Um, yeah. And not funny. So I appreciated that. Yeah. Like, it wasn't a funny character, you know? Yeah, he was definitely threatening, like, all the way through the movie. He was, you know, just like the the, the script and the portrayal of the character, you basically thought, okay, well, you don't want to fuck with this guy. Because everyone was terrified of him, absolutely everyone. And even despite the fact that he had all these really nice parties going on and things like that, you knew by the way that everyone was treating him that he's definitely not a guy that you should be messing with. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and Beckett's, like, terrified of this guy. Which, like, yeah. I kind of had a problem with that, like, towards the end. Like, Beckett knows that... The flip, like I understand that Beckett's in, the, like, and, and the way Hans says it at the end, he's kind of like, "Well, one of us is going to walk out of here with the coaxium," and and I, I I kind of understand, like, okay, like this is the big score he's been waiting for all his life, but on the flip side, like this whole time he's been worried about Dryden Voss, and I understand, like, a lot of his guards were killed by Emphis Ness just like moments ago, but he also knows that Dryden Voss is like just like a subordinate of like more powerful people and his boss is more powerful and these guys hunt people down and so i was like i i i i didn't know like if beckett knew if if beckett felt in his heart like after thing everything got done with that dryden would have said well you failed me too i'm gonna kill you now anyway but i don't know if i how i felt about all that I don't know. I just didn't. The flip that Beckett 
made here just didn't really sit well with me 100%. I'm not saying like I, I can't buy into it at all because he had said stuff like, you know, never assume you know somebody and all this other stuff and you can't trust anybody and like, you know, if, if, yeah. yeah, you can't help but think it's a little bit of a waste of Woody Harrelson. I, I get where you're coming from. Like to just, they really don't give him any backstory or, or too much emotion at all. They, they expect you to take everything for granted, basically, with the character, with no actual like. Up yeah, and, and I'm also in the plot, and just like him hanging out with Han, and we're supposed to believe that like Han becomes this scoundrel and like bases his whole personality off of this guy after spending. Maybe a week or two with them. I mean, yeah. tops. Couple campfires, right? About night, and then it's you're my idol. Yeah, I mean, I thought that these <laughs> guys. Gun, I love you. We had heard that this movie was going to take place over a six year period, from the the ages of eighteen to twenty four. Now it turns out to be nineteen to twenty two, and I honestly feel like it would have benefited possibly a little bit more with a, with maybe that six year period of them hanging out. And maybe, you know, we, after we jump ahead with him and, uh, them, you know, failing Dryden, then they work together for years doing things. And, you know, it just felt like, it felt like if this guy is going to, and this is how they've been positioning this guy in the marketing as Han's mentor. I mean, I suppose he was mentored for a couple, Mr. Miyagi worked with Daniel longer. Then <laughs> Beckett worked yeah. with Han. Yeah, man, it would have made a lot more sense to have like you know him doing three years for the Empire and then another three years under Beckett. Yes, then that w- it would like, and just maybe just show us like one job that they do together and right. show like a bit of camaraderie and a bit of bonding as opposed to just like you say, man. It's like it's like it seems like days that they're together. Yeah, yeah. And, a caper montage wouldn't have hurt, would it? No, and I mean, like, not, like, I didn't mind, like, Woody Harrelson's performance. I mean, I absolutely love that guy and pretty much everything he does, and I thought he did a good job, but the problems with the character do seem to be with the script and the story as a whole. So, um, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a bit of a, the switch is, it's difficult to believe with the way that, um, Dryden is actually set up, and like you said, his connections and things. It it is, but no. It's still written into the script, though. It's like if somebody wanted to pull that card of saying, well, Beckett said, you can't trust anybody, never assume anything, blah, 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 blah. You can pull that card. I'm just saying that the execution and the the suspension of disbelief is a little bit a hard, it's a little bit hard for me when we Yeah, no, me too. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Yeah, like you said, man, like his connections to his superiors and I don't mean Becky, I mean Dryden, obviously. The connections he has to like the, the Crimson Dawn and, and, you know, like the huts and as we find out later, the big reveal. Yeah. It, you wouldn't think that Beckett would risk so much taking out this guy. I, I, as a character, I would have thought he would have, you know, taken out Han and, um, you know, like maybe just like like rove the wave and, well, and just ho- hoped that he didn't yeah. get killed by Dryden. And it's not like he just stole from Crimson Dawn. He also stole from the Pikes. I mean, I mean, yeah. they also stole from the Pikes, and so if like he's going out there and selling this stuff, and word gets around that you know, uh, you know that that he stole from the Pikes, we know like during this time, Lom Pike, who we've seen in like Clone Wars, would send the Pikes after him as well. So it's not like he doesn't have to, like he doesn't have like his hip fair share of enemies at this point. 
So. Yeah, he probably would have been better sticking with Dryden, to be yeah. honest. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> at, yeah. at least the Crimson Dawn would have had his back. Whereas, you know, by, the, by turning on him, basically everyone is against him. Yeah. And it definitely makes him look really dumb. It really, it really does. It really does. I did like how Han got one over on him, though, and used his own words yeah. against them. Basically, like, you showed your hand. Kind of like, you know, I guess in the poker game with, with Lando. Like, Lando showed his hand at being a cheater. And so Han's looking for these details. Like, he's a scam artist on Corellia ever since he was a child. He's been pulling scans this whole time. So he's got a good eye for these things. Um, I just don't know if the, you know, I'm coming to that conclusion thinking about it. Um, yeah, I guess the movie did do a good enough job with Han here. They just didn't do a good enough job with making it believable that Beckett would turn against Dryden Voss in this moment. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's and, the problem. I was going to say also we get definitively that it is Han, not Han as well. Yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was a nice little nod to like, you know, Empire yeah. and Jedi because Billy D always said Han. He always <laughs> said it. Yeah. <laughs> and when he kind of like Lando like talks down to him and he says, okay, okay, Han. And he's like, it's Han, but that's fine. Let's, <laughs> let's, that was, that was nice. Let's talk about the death of, let's talk a little bit more about Lando, but let's talk about the, the death of L3, um, here, uh, L337 and, the fact that when she died, like, Lando, oh my god, Lando lost his shit when L3 died. You could tell that he loved this droid. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was a really cool, like, aspect of Lando's character. Like, you know, seeing the love that he, he obviously has been with this droid for quite a long time, it feels like, right? It's not, he just didn't instantly love it, like, after a month, like... Seems like these two have been partners for a while. Yeah, so. he gave more emotion to L three dying than Beckett did to his <laughs> girlfriend. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we weren't trying to upload Beckett into anything. No, <laughs> yeah, it was it was a great moment for for for, for Lando, for Han, and for Chewie because they all came rushing in to help. I thought that that was really cool. It like showed what um, Kira said about him, you know, being being the good guy. Yeah, saying like I know what you are, yeah. and stuff that we saw in the trailer, and then we get the line like you know you're a good guy, and yeah, that those little moments like happen in the movie. That's an, another part of the film that I really enjoyed. That as much as Han always likes to think that he's the scoundrel and he's like you know the guy that doesn't give a shit about anything. At the end of the day, he always comes back when it matters, and uh, I liked seeing that on screen. So they upload L three into the Millennium Millennium Falcon. As the navigation system and Jake, we talked about this in previous episodes that we had heard this rumor that L3 would be one of the personalities within the Millennium Falcon. And I kind of want to talk about that here, but uh, it happened. Yeah, yeah. You could like when it started to happen, I was like, oh, my God, it's going to happen. Yeah, they're actually going to put him into the Millennium Falcon. So, guys, this this actually works into Star Wars canon. And I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to talk about it right now. Um, The Falcon's top end computer was actually brought up in the original Star Wars trilogy, specifically The Empire Strikes Back, when Han used it to calculate a hyperspace jump. When the hyperdrive is broken, Han had C-3PO, quote, say this. He said, uh, talk to the Falcon, find out what's wrong with the hyperdrive. And he does mean talk in some technical sense because C-3PO is shown beeping with the ship and then talks to Solo and says, I don't know where your ship learned to communicate, 
but it has the most peculiar dialect. So there we have it. In 1980, it's established the Millennium Falcon has a proper consciousness on a level with the main droids. Um, the book Star Wars Absolutely Everything You Need to Know by Adam Bray and Cole Horton added to the story saying that the personality came specifically from a mix of an astromech droid, a transport droid, and a slicer droid. Also, The Last Jedi's novelization has more recently expanded on this. It's near the end of the book. During the crate battle, a passage details the Falcon's inner workings. Quote, when the Falcon mentioned something about barely being able to detect the back end of a Bantha at high noon, R2-D2 suppressed an electronic sigh. The Falcon had always been cantankerous, its three droid brains quarreling endlessly unless forced to work together. Still, R2-D2 usually got along with the ship well enough. For one thing, none of the brains could stand C-3PO. For another, <laughs> for another, one of them had a fondness for both romantic gossip and dirty jokes, both of which R2-D2 had learned to provide in large quantities. Hold on, guys. <laughs> Romantic gossip. We saw that in this film between a yep. conversation of L3 talking to Kira in the cockpit about her, uh, Han's love for her. And then she goes on to talk about Lando's love for her. So I, and then dirty jokes. I'm sure that it's not above L3. I, no. <laughs> yeah. So this, this, this is definitely, it, it adds to the canon of everything. Yeah, yeah. It, it's brilliant, man. I, I absolutely love that. And I remember you guys talking about this story as well, like, you know, months ago. Yeah. And yeah. just like Jake, when they sort of said that they were going to, like, download her into the, the Falcon, I was like, oh, my God, it's actually going to happen. And, and <laughs> it was the, the description, like, from the book, like, because you guys quoted that before. I was like, shit, that is L3. And yeah. obviously we'd had that moment between her and Kira, and they were doing, like, their girl talk thing in the cockpit. And I was like, this is so cool. <laughs> it's pretty unreal. It was awesome. Um, so, yeah, I I did. I, I, go ahead. I still can't believe that that like one kind of throwaway line of dialogue that's just been kind of dangling. Yes, since the freaking eighties finally gets play upon. See, that's the wild. That's the stuff that Kazan got right. Okay, I mean, it, it's not like Kazan got everything wrong here. Um, there's a lot of stuff that Kazan got right. I want to ask you this: something else that? Okay, here we go. In Rogue One, one of the big problems that people had in Star Wars. A New Hope was that the Death Star had its one big weakness, and why wasn't it protected? Why did they leave this gaping hole in a basically kind of like a, a uh, basically kind of like a direct passage where 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 ships could could uh, fire into this one hole and then destroy the whole fucking thing? And Rogue One addressed that, and we find out um, that uh, Jyn Erso's father he designed it with a weakness. And so it corrected that. It retconned everything that we had thought about this. Well, this film does a retcon as well. And um, for years, you know, uh, when Han said he ran the Kessel Run in less than 12 parsecs, people have been saying, well, parsecs is a measure of time, not a uh, measure of distance, not time. Well, this movie shows us that parsecs is distance and not time. Yep. And so, <laughs> did you guys, did that work for you? 
or uh, was or was it kind me, of forced? It was. It for me, dude. It was. I, I enjoyed it because it's kind of a big fuck you to people that are talking about all these niggly things in a world where people can move things with their mind. <laughs> um, this the whole like the whole thing about like the bombers in like the Last Jedi being too slow and and how do the how do the bombs from the bombers drop in space and that's the, you're dealing with a world with fucking space wizards in it it's like you sh- <laughs> shouldn't be thinking about that and the fact that they actually put that in this with the 12 past six i thought was great it's like just shut up <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm with Dan on this too. I, I was fine with a little bit of the cleanup on what the word meant, and I, yeah, I when you think of it in that light, it is funny because that that shit annoyed me in Last Jedi too. I was like, I, the bombs look cool falling out of the ship onto the planet. I don't need you know Neil deGrasse Tyson telling me it's yeah. impossible. It's fucking Star Wars. Yeah, it's a, yeah, yeah. I agree, and it's it's one of those things where like the droids in the world actually like hurt humans, and so like in every other form of science fiction, what is it like Asimov's three laws of robotics that you know yeah. robots obey and they sh- they can't harm humans? It's like well. I don't want that in Star Wars. Yeah, I I want to see I want to see I want to see droids be able to you know make up their own minds, um, you know, and and be able to do things and maybe you know harm other things. So we saw K two S O kicking ass in the last film, and we've seen you know fucking R two D two kick ass in in these films as well. So. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not I'm not a stickler on that kind of shit too. It's it's a it's a fantasy world, man. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, like the whole like 12 past six things aside, how cool was the castle run? Amazing. Oh my God. It was (laughs) fucking awesome. (laughs) Like I'm I'm pissed off that they ruined like my favorite bit of the whole thing in the trailer where Han flips the Falcon in a barrel roll and bashes a TIE fighter into a fucking asteroid. I missed that in the trailer. I must have missed that in the trailer. That was so incredible seeing that for the first time in IMAX. Oh my god. And, and, (laughs) and all the point of view, I thank you Ron Howard for all the point of view shots from the cockpit. Thank you. They were gorgeous in IMAX 3D. Gorgeous. Yeah, this was definitely the most, like, visually pleasing. Like, I know we've complained about the closed sets and the fogs, but I, the Kessel Run was some of the most, like, visually pleasing moments of the movie, I thought, cinematically. Yeah. The Maelstrom. Like, it looked really cool. Uh, when they're in the Maelstrom and you see the Star Destroyer coming through the Maelstrom. <laughs> oh, that looks awesome. <laughs> that was fucking epic. I can't oh, even imagine God. how good that looked in 3D. Oh, it was incredible. And I'll tell you one thing. Like, I loved how I'm like, hey, I know these guys. They're not going to send out a, a, a TIE fighter <laughs> to come after, you know, a ship. And they send out five. <laughs> I was rolling. <laughs> was another classic Han moment right there as well. You know, good. like calling that shot and being completely fucking wrong. <laughs> that was good. Yeah, that was amazing, man. Like, th- just the reveal of, of the Star Destroyer, it was so, like, ominous and, like, genuinely terrifying. You know, yeah. like, it, like, seeing the size of the Falcon and if this was, this is, you know, in 
in the kind of timeline of the movie this is the first time we've seen those two ships kind of facing off and having like the whirling vortex with like the lightning coming off of it and those oh, like yeah. really well, they, like, call ominous... the, they called it the, the maw is what they called maw. it yeah the, yeah. Yeah, the maw yeah yeah and they had like the really like ominous like red lights at the front of the star destroyer as well it just looked fucking just shit your pants scary it was yeah brilliant oh my god uh did you guys notice like when that that squid creature it starts getting sucked in when it starts ripping the skin off of it yeah, yeah that was awesome oh my god do we know what that creature's called no that not been no and i don't think unless it's in the official guide i have no idea what the fuck that thing was but it was mm. huge and it was like almost like it was like the sarlacc being eaten by the pit it was insane <laughs> maybe that's the origin of the sarlacc pit oh wow sarlacc the origin movie <laughs> the other end of the gravity Wars, well is the sarlacc pit on tatooine uh, oh god i cannot stand the 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 lucas um when they when they when they turned the sarlacc pit into audrey 2 from little shop of horrors oh, oh, oh. Yeah, yeah, it's stupid. So oh, stupid. God, terrible. Yeah, but that creature was great. And like, you know, got the close up of the eye, like the reveal that it was something else. And then as the ship kind of comes, comes around, you see all of the eyes and then the giant, like, toothy mouth coming yeah. off and all, all the tentacles. Ah, oh, it was amazing. Oh, man. When he, oh, and, uh, <laughs> Lando was so pissed when they let go of the escape pod. <laughs> It <laughs> <laughs> was awesome, and again, it was a nice, a nice sort of like yeah. I say callback, but it's in the past. Um, you know, they're, they're they're fucking the shit up as they're doing all this stuff, and he's just getting more and more annoyed with all the bits of the ship like flying off because it is pristine when they first get it. It's oh God, yes, brand new, oh, yeah. Isn't it? it's yeah, literally showroom fresh. Yeah, yeah absolutely beautiful. <laughs> seeing the it's got that there. new Falcon smell. Yeah, <laughs> you know, Definitely. and we find out that Han's father used to build these in the shipyard on Corellia. Yeah, that was nice hearing yeah. that little little bit and him like, um, his dad, like talking he, about the dads and yeah. their parents. His dad Lando. was so busy he couldn't tell him what his last fucking name was. <laughs> <laughs> oh jeez! Yeah, he's like. He's like Sorry, go for it, Jake. I was going to say he's like Madonna or Cher, dare I say. Just <laughs> one name. <laughs> oh, oh, man. man. Again, that yeah. moment is that's a really nice moment and a really nice part of the script. But like you just said, you know, he goes on at the beginning of the film about how he doesn't have any people. Yeah. Yet he's reminiscing about his dad. Yeah. And it's like, to make up your damn mind. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, that's a good point. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's crazy. Did you guys hear about the uh, the Jake? You know this because you read the article. But we find out in that Variety article uh, the scene with Amelia Clark and Han Solo in Lando's cape closet was influenced by George Lucas himself, who came to set uh, that day that they were filming that. Yeah, I love that little tidbit in the article. I thought that was really cool. It was yeah. Basically, Lucas saying this is exactly how Han would do it, and they said it was kind of magical that Lucas actually mimicked the motion himself. Yeah, yeah, and just did it perfectly. Yeah, and I'm gonna like go. I'm gonna read this, but I, I uh, it's because I want everybody to kind of know it was supposed to be a 
quick and we talked about this on a previous episode Jake like I had heard about this I had heard about him coming into set it was supposed to be a quick pop in and he was just supposed to say hi to Ron since they worked together on American Graffiti and they've grown up and they, you know he, he's watched Ron grow up and they're good friends and he was just supposed to pop in and say hi and ended up being there for pretty much half half of the day shooting with Ron Howard and um, Variety said the hand of George Lucas too happens to be present in the film in a romantically charged scene between Ehrenreich and Clark staged in Lando's cape closet I love how they call it cape closet he has <laughs> Lando has it is canon that Lando had a cape closet within the Millennium Falcon um, yeah I, I believe it that was completely <laughs> believable right absolutely and I loved yeah. it yeah. Uh, there was a beat when Han takes Kira's cloak, hangs it up, and moves on to his next bit of business. But Lucas had a note if he could be so bold. He said, you know, Han wouldn't bother to hang it up, Howard uh, Howard says. And then he sort of did it. George became Han Solo for a second. The body language was there and the attitude. Not only was it a nice accent on the scene, but it was also a reminder that George created this character and really understood him. He was so reluctant to offer his opinion, and yet the choice was so right that it was fun to uh, it was fun to use it. Um, neither Lucas nor Ford was made available for the comment. But yeah, like in the actual scene like he like takes the cloak and like puts it behind him and just kind of drops it he doesn't like hang it up or anything he's all about like <laughs> i am going to make out with kira right now i got her alone <laughs> i've missed her for this long i am going to plant one on her right now so yeah he's not paying attention to hanging the cloak up no exactly not <laughs> <laughs> make sure you use a hanger I, I I thought it was you know honestly I felt like after watching this movie they should have had him on set a lot more. Mm, that would have been interesting. <sighs> yeah, it, it couldn't hurt. That's for no, sure. I mean, really he, I think the article got it right. It's a Han is like you know a hundred percent a George Lucas creation. Uh, Dan, uh, Matt, you guys watch. You guys watch, are you guys current on Rebels? Did you finish the series? Uh, I've got the second half of season four to watch okay Dan. Um, i'm nowhere near oh wow okay i'm the only one that's watched all of rebels okay uh so this is for our listeners um coaxium uh this was a reveal in the solo official guide about coaxium which is the hyperspace fuel that they kind of introduced into this movie um coaxium comes from the space whales that we saw in rebels who are called oh, purgil right. Hmm. I remember you loving the Space Whale episodes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they swim in groups across the universe, launching themselves past light speed through purely organic means. So apparently the whalers of the Star Wars universe discovered the coaxium in the organs and tissue of the Purgil, which are the Space Whales, which was soon realized to be the cause of their reality-bending travel. Purgil consume... Cluzon 36 gas, which, uh, ironically is the same gas that, uh, Ron Howard used for the fog in the film. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> but Purgil consumed Cluzon 36 gas, uh, which played a large factor in one Rebels episode as the whale scavenged the gas from an Imperial refueling station. The substance combined with organic refinement became the secret recipe. Eventually the process was recruited 
uh, recreated outside of the Purgil, making galactic travel possible and was the popular and profitable fuel source in the film. So I thought that that was pretty interesting that, I mean, Coaxium is kind of introduced here, but it does have its roots in Star Wars Rebels. That's cool. I have seen That's that cool. episode, man. That's a good episode. Yeah, the, the uh, they they do show up uh, later in the series too, and um, oh, nice. Yeah, so you will you will get to see some more of those uh, the purge all the space whales. But uh, so there are there's space whalers too. Yeah, apparently there are space whalers that go out there and hunt these things. So. It's nice. Of, I can't help but think of uh, whalers on the moon. That's carry exactly a what I was thinking of. <laughs> Uh, all right sorry about that (laughs) it's fine uh let's see here i let's talk about yeah let's talk about the let's talk about the big reveal let's talk about the big reveal that happens in the film um with uh kira can we talk about that can we talk yeah let's talk about that too i want to talk about kira's Kira's turn here, um, not so much a turn. I mean, she's basically telling him the whole time that, you know, she's different now, but, um, did this, did this work for you guys? Um, eh. uh, Kira's turn I had no problem with, but the reveal of, of the guy I fucking hated. Oh, really? Uh, of Darth Maul? Yeah. Yeah. I, I absolutely fucking hated it why why so i just didn't i just didn't like it man it like i like i was talking earlier in my review i i just like i understand that there's all this like expanded universe stuff in the background but i thought it was really shady to like anyone that hasn't watched all the cartoons to just all of a sudden like throw this upon them like hey darth maul is alive even though last you saw he got cut in half on episode one and i don't know it just didn't work for me and i kind of like I don't need to see more Darth Maul. I'm not that guy. And I honestly don't want to see more Darth Maul. So, eh, I just, I kind of hated it. It felt like super fan servicey to me to have him back in these movies. I'm worried that he's going to be a big part in future movies, like potentially the Obi-Wan movie or the Boba Fett movie. And, and I just don't like it, man. I, I, nothing against Ray Park or the performance or the voice. I just, I don't know. It's super cheesy to me. He shouldn't be a part of the Obi-Wan movie. He shouldn't be. Um, well, he, he will be. I mean, how I, so? just, I don't need to see that. Are you think he, you don't think he will be a part of the Obi-Wan movie? Watching Rebels, I would say no. Because it would just be a repeat of the same thing, right? Of, uh, what was that, Matt? Sorry, I was gonna say, unless they flesh out what actually happened at Rebels, because you only just saw the, the, the final meeting, didn't you? You didn't actually see what happened after that. Well, in Rebels, how long had... had, had um, had Ben been watching them for a long time? The twins? Um, was it six years, seven years? They were still youngish. Well, I, I mean, I remember like Leia being like close to the age of Ezra when we see her in Rebels. Yeah. So but, but see, the, see, the thing is, it's like, okay, let me, okay, let me just explain this. Um, we shouldn't if i if i were to guess we shouldn't see him in this because ben has been obi-wan kenobi has been on the planet of tatooine watching luke and leia uh, no uh watching luke excuse me i'm sorry luke uh should be around, it should be the exact same age as leia when 
man, it's, it's getting into weird kind of spoiler territory for some fans that haven't watched Rebels here. Um, this is I their, don't care. Just, th- okay. Yeah, that's, that's my yeah, issue it. with it. Okay, hold on. <laughs> this is, this is, um, I'm trying to figure this out on the fly here, guys. And it's not like, and I, and I understand like you guys can like look up Wikipedia right now and tell me like, you know, like I'm not talking to you guys. I'm talking to like, like our listeners that are listening to the episode. If, and if you just recently watched Rebels, but I'm going based off of memory off an episode that I watched six months ago to a, actually, excuse me, more than a year ago. Cause it happened in the end of season three, I believe. Yeah, it was. But, um, as I remember, Leia, of course, is around the same age as Ezra Bridger. Ezra might be maybe a year older or two older than Leia or vice versa. So the first time that Obi-Wan Kenobi and Darth Maul meet again is definitely, I think it's 100% what happened, what we see in Rebels because Darth Maul doesn't know the location of Luke Skywalker until Rebels. Correct? Yes, correct. And if, but we don't know what the Obi-Wan, the, I would not imagine that the Obi-Wan movie is going to be about stuff we saw in the Clone Wars. Cause that's already yeah, been, would, it's already been stuff that's animated in the Clone Wars. And so, any future meetings that Obi-Wan has with Darth Maul that we've seen in the Clone Wars, I would think that this is going to be about if, if they do this Obi-Wan Kenobi movie, if it gets official, then it's going to be about Obi-Wan's time on Tatooine, correct? Yeah. Okay. I, I buy that. So but back to the Darth Maul of it all. Sure. Um, is this going to be the last time we see him? No, absolutely uh, not. They're, they're definitely setting up something here with Crimson Dawn. And I, I want to talk about this a little bit. We'll open it up here in a moment. But they got Ray Park to come back um, to play the physical presence of Darth Maul in the scene. Uh, they got Sam Witwer, who voiced Maul on The Clone Wars and on Rebels. He recorded the dialogue here for Darth Maul in the scene. So for the fans uh, that didn't watch uh, the animated series the clone wars well basically there's a whole conversation uh, uh between uh um when kira basically pledges allegiance to crimson dawn and she's not going to go with han she communicates with darth maul over uh hologram and we see the robotic legs and as soon as i heard the voice i knew it was darth maul he didn't even need to take the cape off i like i as soon as i heard the voice i knew it was maul yeah ditto Mm-hmm. And, and I knew it was Sam Witwer doing the voice yes. as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Great voice actor, that guy. Love his stuff. Because um, it was uh, Peter Serafinowicz, wasn't it? Yep, it was yeah, Peter Serafinowicz. Episode one, it was Peter Serafinowicz, yeah. 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 So Kira tells Maul, and it's not Darth Maul anymore, it's just Maul, that yep. Dryden Voss was killed and that Beckett took off. Maul said that Beckett couldn't have done all of this alone, and he wants... Kira to join him on Dathomir where they're going to talk about this a little bit more and then find out who else was involved in this whole thing so fans that didn't watch the animated series The Clone Wars Rebels or you know read the comics 
this is how we see Darth Maul because like the, some fans they just remember the last time that they saw him was in the Phantom Menace where he was split in half by Obi-Wan Kenobi and he falls down into the core and everyone kind of assumed he died well um, IGN had a great breakdown of Darth of Maul since Phantom Menace and I won't get into everything but here's some important bullet points that I wanted to go over and some of the events that happen um, happened in the Clone Wars others in the comics and um, I won't try to get into Rebels a little bit more. I, do, I don't want to spoil that too much for people if they haven't watched Rebels. But um, basically, they go on to say his hate for Obi-Wan kept him alive as well as the dark side of the Force. He ended up on the junk planet of Lotho Minor, where he became a feral, uh, where he became feral and plunged, plunged into madness, living off of vermin for sustenance. He created spider-like legs to replace his missing ones and was found much later by his brother, Savage Oppress. Oppress took the broken Maul to their home world of Dathomir, where Maul's mother, the Night Sister, Mother Talzin, restored his mind and body, replacing his spider legs with metal legs salvaged from separatist droids. Uh, when we first see the hologram, that we do see his robot legs. And I thought that that was kind of a cool touch there. Um, here, Maul provided to be as adept at manipulation and treachery as he is with a lightsaber blade persuading Previsla that he should reclaim Mandalore for his own sinister purposes. Through a series of events detailed beautifully in the Clone Wars episodes, Eminence, Shades of Reason, and the Lawless, Maul recruited the Black Sun Syndicate. Hold on, this is inter- this is important. Maul recruited the Black Sun Syndicate, the Pike families, and Jabba's, yes, the Pike families, who we saw the Pike family in this film, they were the ones running the spice mines of Kessel. So that's, this is, Maul recruited the Black Sun Syndicate, the Pike families, and Jabba's minions to form the criminal alliance known as the Shadow Collective. Brutally killing Vizsla in a duel, he took control of the planet Mandalore, which then explains the Mandalore armor, on Dryden Voss's yacht. Um, ultimately, this prompted Obi-Wan to race to Mandalore in order to rescue his former love, Duchess Satine. But the Jedi, but the Jedi would be too late, and Maul murdered Satine in front of him, all in the hopes of making Obi-Wan suffer as Maul has. A devastated Kenobi refused to give in to his anger and was imprisoned but he would later be rescued by the same Mandalorian insurgents who also overthrew Maul's regime. Maul's anger had also come to be directed at his former master as well. Feeling abandoned by Palpatine, also known as Darth Sidious, Maul could no longer bear the Sith mantle of Darth in accordance with the rule of two, since Palpatine had since taken on a new apprentice after Maul's apparent death on Naboo. But still, Maul's rise to power sent ripples throughout the dark side of the Force, catching the attention of Sidious and leading to one of the fiercest lightsaber duels ever, easily killing savage Opress. Uh, Sidious left Maul alive to sadistic, uh, sadistically torture him with Sith lightning before taking him prisoner. In the comics miniseries, Darth Maul, son of Dathomir, we see the aftermath of this capture. Count Dooku tortures Maul for information on the Shadow Collective. But Maul later escapes to Zanbar to regain control of 
the Death Watch army. General Grievous and the Separatist Finemaul and his army wiping them out. And Grievous kills Mother Talzin, who sacrifices herself to save Maul. He retains a few loyal Mandalorians in the story. Now, this is important, too, to what we saw in Solo. He retains a few loyal Mandalorians in the story. But the Shadow Collective is effectively abolished since the Black Sun, the Huts, and the Pikes want nothing to do with Maul anymore. So in in the solo movie, I believe what is left of these loyal Mandalorians and a, and a few others that, that he's picked up along the way, like Kira herself becomes, you know, the Crimson, uh, becomes Crimson Dawn. She's a lieutenant for Dryden Voss. And um, I just talked about how, like, the Black Sun, the Huts, and the Pikes want nothing more to do with Maul. In the movie, Dryden Voss is getting ready to kill Beckett, Han, and Chewbacca for, feeling, uh, for failing the mission at the Convoy X. And when they say that they will get the, um, that they're going to get the unrefined coaxium from the spice mines of Kessel, he says that they have, Dryden says, we have a fragile alliance with the Pikes. And if they steal from the Pikes, it would not look good on him. And it could be all out war between him and the Pikes. So it seems like they kind of like worked things out to the point of they're not working together and they kind of stay out of each other's way. So it's kind of like, like, don't bother us. We won't bother you. And, but I, but I think this is like where we are in the timeline as far as like Maul is concerned. He's not a Sith. He's a crime boss now. And then this takes place before Rebels, but it's, it takes, of course, it takes place after Order 66 where he kind of like disappeared in the timeline in, in the Clone Wars animated series until he shows back up in Rebels. And in the, cause like in the, in the novel Ahsoka, um, we find out that Maul faced Ahsoka Tano and Captain Rex just before the events of Revenge of the Sith and Order 66. So that's kind of like where we are in the timeline here. Jake, I understand what you're saying. Like, this is kind of like a, a fuck you to those fans that, oh, man, to me, it's not much different than fucking saying Ezra was Snoke. Like, it's like, <laughs> uh, I'm fine with like I, I'm not saying I dislike the cartoon stuff and I love the kind of the expansions they've done on ideas, but man, that's kind of where I want them to stay. Okay, and I I really really dislike this. What if what if in the next movie because they're definitely doing something with this, and I, I I I I I am going to go. I would like to say they're not going to do anything with Obi Wan Kenobi, but you never know. I. I, it's, I Go ahead. Yeah, I, I don't think they'll, they'll they can resist the cash grab on that one. To be honest, yeah, people will want to see it. And yeah. I really, as as much as I want them to say no, we've done what we needed to do with that character. Let's do something else with him. I I, I really can't see that they'll 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 miss the opportunity to have Obi Wan face off against Mole again. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's, live it action seems ridiculous. It, it, it does. It seems. I mean, ridiculous. he was introduced at the end of Solo, kind of like the, uh, the the anthology film's Thanos reveal, wasn't he? I mean, it was like, yeah. oh look, there's the overarching big bad for the next three or four anthology films until we're going to get this crescendo. Yeah, I found um, it very Scooby Doo a little bit, honestly, too, where it was like, <laughs> oh, old man Withers is fucking Maul, and it was like, what? I just, it just completely like yeah. made me fall out of my seat with like what the See, fuck. I think it make okay. Here, here's my problem with it is that I I see I totally see what you guys are saying, but on the flip side, like I understand like this kind of like 
there's got to be something that fills in the gaps of like what Maul was doing in between like Order 66 and like what happened in Rebels. And it it does organically make sense that he once the Shadow Collective disbanded that he started his own crime syndicate called Cribsum Dawn. Like that makes sense. But I understand that you're saying like introducing it here seems like it, it for me that's my biggest the problem solo backstory yes of all places yes it's fucking stupid that's my biggest well excuse me sorry guys i hit my beer on the fucking mic my biggest problem with this is the fact that they introduced this shit into a solo movie this is supposed to be a han solo movie this should not be introduced in a han solo movie yeah so. surprise me with maul in the obi-wan movie if that's if that's where the end game is or or whatever i just ugh. This was so gross to me, and I, I don't know if I can ever trust these Star Wars movies again. This was foul. <laughs> this was foul. I wouldn't okay, go. So that was your major problem that you said right at the beginning of the show. Last fifteen minutes, that was the big one, was it? Yeah, I, I Maul was just it was disgusting to me. Like I, it just ruined my entire experience. I was like, <laughs> uh, I've never, I never. Yeah. I've never felt this feeling before. Rob. I'm like angry Star Wars nerd, nerd now. I was like, not my mole. I was well. I was for me like kind of like knowing like watching. I guess like Rebels and all this stuff. Like I just, I, I don't know. Like as I'm looking around the crowd, I'm like thinking to myself, like, do these, do these fucking people know like what's going on here? You know, like these casual like some of the. I'm sure some of these fans are casual fans. Like, do they know really what's going on here? And like. For me, I, I don't know. I was kind of excited. Should I? Uh, is that bad? <laughs> like I was like, no, I, yeah, I don't know. I'm not. I just don't feel that way. I guess I want the casuals along with the Star Wars train. Like if you watch the expanded stuff, you watch the expanded stuff, and yeah. I like that. No, hold like on. The small Easter eggs. Yeah. The knowledge that both exist, like they wink at each other all the time, and sure. I've never had a problem with it. But this is yeah. more than a fucking wink. Like, yeah, I it's guess ridiculous. They, they were thinking like at the. Uh, I don't know. Let me play devil's advocate here a little bit. But I agree with a no, lot, for sure. lot of what you're saying. Um, don't get me wrong. But like at the end of Avengers, like when they gave us like the Thanos reveal, like people were like. Who the fuck is that? You know, and so oh, God, I, can't, I can't. I cannot believe I'm going to fucking say this in defense of that, but. At least that was a post-credit sequence. <laughs> like this fucking mall shit. Like that's almost like what it felt like was like the final post-credit sequence for the Uber nerd. And then, and the fact knowing that's going to have major repercussions to more Star Wars movies. I'm just like, eh, uh, I don't like it. They're, they, uh, fucking A. Now, Dan, you love this shit? I, I don't love it. I just think it makes sense. Um, as far as like the story goes, we know we're getting an Obi-Wan movie, and I mean, what better bad guy would there be to face Obi-Wan at the end than Maul? That, you know, facing the guy that chopped him in half and left him for dead. So I always figured that that might happen, but I think it was <laughs> quite, I think it was pretty cool to kind of bring him back and have him kind of, uh, who the fuck is gonna be like, you know, like you're sort of, average guy isn't no one's gonna beat dryden so they have to be like a bigger badass than him um and i thought the yeah. mall was a really good fit for that yeah and i mean yeah. after the shadow collective like disbanded and like left mall it it makes sense that he would have started another criminal organization to kind of keep himself you know in power somehow and but I, but I, I, Jake, I'm saying story-wise, it makes sense. I'm not no, saying, no, I, I agree. and I'm not I, saying like it makes sense to like it. It doesn't make sense to like 
to make this your whole fucking reason for Han Solo. Like, <laughs> I get it because like his, his girlfriend, his girlfriend ends up becoming like a member of this whole group and becomes influenced by Dryden and, 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 and Darth and, and excuse me, Maul. And it's like, it feels, this feels to me like, what Marvel did with Iron Man 2 and trying to set up a bigger universe. And I feel like the character of Han Solo should get more attention here than just setting up future films. And I felt like this movie also set up like Boba Fett stuff too. Like yeah, in a way. I hear you. Like with, yeah, I, the, I don't the, know. The, they're it goes, not treat these like anthology movies, are they? They're, they're starting to treat them like an EU. Yes. They're making them a consecutive story with a link. Yes. And that's where they're going to find problems because at some point they're going to fuck the timeline up royally. Yeah. Because yeah. they'll have to. We're going to get our Spider-Man homecoming here eventually. <laughs> <laughs> it just goes back to the, you know, like, God forbid they come up with a brand new original cool concept. Like I, I guess we're done trying that, right? It has to be Darth Maul. Or no, Maul. it could have been. It could have been Snoke. It could have been Snoke. Oh. <laughs> come on, come on, man! Oh. How how many how many original ideas have they had since Maul that have been any good? They've had Grievous crying out loud. Yeah. He, was, he was terrible. It's like you know <laughs> he's bringing up. Yeah, but like we're bringing back one of the most beloved villains in Star Wars history, and I think that that is. I think it's a sensible move. I didn't think right. it was fantastic, yeah. and I didn't think it was terrible. I was like, "Yeah, that makes sense," and I was happy to see Ray Park back in in the role yes, as well. I was too. Yeah. I, this 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 made me excited. But Matt, if you're right, if you are right, and they give us a scene of Obi Wan meeting up with Darth Maul off planet, not on Tatooine, and that f- fuck you. Fuck, yeah. <laughs> fuck you, because we know, like, there's no, there's no, um, there's no stakes. No. And there, there's, there's no stakes if, 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 if Darth Maul and Obi-Wan Kenobi meet again live action, Ewan McGregor, Ray Park, rematch, it's basically, you might as well just have fucking like Darth Maul chew his ear off like it's, uh, Vander Holyfield. <laughs> yeah. And Tyson. Because. You have the, uh, the Indiana Jones moment, aren't you? He's, he's gonna, Darth Maul's gonna do all the flippity do bullshit and Hans, um, Obi-Wan can just shoot him. Yeah. It will be, it will be that, there's no danger. <laughs> I yeah. agree with a lot of what Dan is saying. Like, I, I don't deny it's, it's a smart move. It's a smart financial move. It's a move that a lot of fans will want, but I don't know, man. For me, it feels like Star Wars selling out a little bit to just be so pandering like that. Uh, you say, you say that, man, but this whole movie is technically a sellout because it's yeah. a story that never needed to be told. Yeah. yeah. So this whole film is pandering to fans because it is the backstory of a character who essentially yeah. is incredibly enigmatic and mysterious because we don't know where he's from. Can I can I, I say the pandering was a little bit more bookended like start <laughs> in the pandering. Let me let me don't just me. let me just say this. Let me just say this like all the fans that are upset of like let's you know like show me new things like show me I I want to see all new characters, new stories and stuff like that. Trust me guys, there's plenty of time. They're not going to stop making Star Wars. We're gonna get those stories. Those stories gonna are gonna get happen. That Ryan Johnson trilogy. Yeah, man. in Ryan Johnson, I trust at least. Well, see, the thing that's, is, that's my holdout. Here. Well, like a lot of Pete fans didn't want the legacy characters coming back for the the new trilogy, and I was, I was one of those people. I was never one of those people because I was always like, 
guys, if we're ever going to get them to come back, this is it. Like, we're not going to have Harrison Ford and Mark Hamill and, you know, rest in peace, Carrie Fisher. I mean, we're not going to have them around forever. So it's like, if we're going to have them come back and do something in this universe, like, let's let them do it now. Guys, let's just let them get their little Han Solo films out of the way, get their Rogue Ones out of the way, which I did love Rogue One, by the way. I gave it a Tupperware. But anyway, let's let them get their, you know, Boba Fett movie out of the fucking way. Get all this shit out of the way to the point where, like, once the well's dry, then they're like, okay, we gotta introduce new shit. We gotta do, we have to do new shit. We've run I out. just hope it's not too late by then, cause eventually you're gonna lose credit with people, and only the nerds are gonna watch it, and then, much like Star Trek, we'll have no more movies. Yeah. I don't think we're you know? there yet, though. I still think that there's enough of a, definitely enough of a fan base, and people that are still into the, into everything that they're putting out right now, I do think that this was a misstep, though. I do feel like it was a misstep, but I feel like, cause I, I, man, I don't know, man. God, I, I wish I was more excited coming out of this one after I've seen it a few times. I feel like the first time I watched it, it was IMAX 3D. It was, uh, that, that, that first night opening crowd. And it was just like, I, and I, I did get wrapped up in the fact that I'm watching a space Western and I am a sucker for Western films. <laughs> and like, that's another thing. Like we're going to talk about this, you know, uh, James Mangold Boba Fett film. And I'm thinking back to like him directing 310 to Yuma. And I'm like, Oh my God, uh, Boba Fett in a space Western. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, part of me is like, Oh my God, I bet it's going to be amazing. But a part of me is like, Oh my God, it, it could, it could either be the Wolverine or it could be Logan. We don't fucking know. So, yeah. So what you're saying is it's going to be... I was going to say what you're saying is going to be a toss it or a high taste it. Is that what you're saying? With the Boba Fett film? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, God. It's either going to... Yeah. Yeah. No, fuck you. You were the one who gave it a high taste it. (laughs) If you guys don't know, Dan gave Logan a high taste it. You son of a a bitch. You think you're clever, don't you? No. Well, you are. You are. I just, I thought it was funny, man. It's like, cause you you put that article up on the page and I said, oh great. Well, at least he can ruin a character that I don't care about. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Uh, Let's see here. I don't know. Jake, like that, I don't know. Like that wasn't my my biggest problem was the fact that the movie left Han as a hero and not a scoundrel. Man, I couldn't. I needed to see this movie more than once. Honestly, it's Memorial Day weekend, and I just only had time to see it once. But like, yeah, the ending like fucking clouded my brain, dude. I couldn't even think about anything else practically. I was just like steaming red from what Star Wars just fucking pulled on me. But Han. One is a hero, man. I I don't see what any. I mean, we got him. Uh, we got to see him shoot Beckett first as well. Oh, I know that wasn't telegraphed. They might as well no, just it was, fucking. It might, it might as well just flashed on the screen. Han shot first. I mean, come on. <laughs> I know. Honestly, I. I, I I, I didn't have telegraph, but I did like that. I, didn't, I thought it was cool. I thought it was cool too. But my problem, yeah. my problem here, Dan, is that this movie, when when you think about what this movie should have accomplished, the the Han Solo that we saw at the beginning of A New Hope didn't want to stick around and be the hero. Yeah, he was kind of forced into it and thrust into it, and it took a long time for him to get to come to those terms. And I felt like this movie, for it to be successful, for me, 
he needed to leave this film and we needed to see like I'm not saying like he needs to be a, like um a sinister character I'm just saying like at by the end of this movie whatever like optimistic han we got at the beginning he mm. needs to be less that by the end of the yeah. film. And like, a little bit soul crushed. Ten years and another five film, five solo films before he turns into a salty, miserable bastard. <laughs> Fuck no, might. solo film. Hey, Matt, yeah, Matt, 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 that's, that's going to be the fans. The fans are going to be the salty ones. We're going to turn into the way we are going to turn into the ones that the, the way that Han Solo should be by the end of this movie. Yeah, I remember. I remember we we spoke about this before that we all agreed that that's the way this film should end. It should be, you know, like we all saw the trailers and we all thought, wow, yes. he's like really chipper. And the whole like I've got a good feeling about this thing, and we're like reading into that line. We all thought, okay, this is this is Han before all of this shit happened to him and you know like his girl like double crossing him and all that sort of stuff we thought that he was gonna become you know at least partly the, the cynical guy that we meet in the beginning of a new hope yeah and i totally agree dude and I'm, i do I, I like that's why i love the the way he shot beckett i thought that was really cool yes and that was, it wasn't that enough was, though it was not enough for me no, I, I agree because that is i thought that that was like a turning point it's like he doesn't trust anyone yeah, and he and he learned his lessons, and from that point, I thought, right, we're gonna get like a little bit more of a, that kind of like cynical version of him, like going out of this movie in the last like five ten minutes. But he's like, oh, here's here's ten million credits worth of coaxium. See ya. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> There's our exactly. scoundrel. Yeah, that, that, I, I do agree with that, dude. So it was like, it, it started on the right path, and then it kind of became very, like, Disney-fied, like, happy ending. And that's not what we needed. We needed the setup for A New Hope. When I gave my yeah. rating of this movie... Go ahead, Jake, I'm sorry. I was going to say, it really makes you feel like they definitely planned on doing a second solo movie, the way this ended. Like, maybe that's where that material fits in. Well, I, I know that somewhere they're going to be yeah. doing a trilogy of these films. I don't feel like this movie left off, like, where... We we would get a second solo film. I felt like it sets up other films. It doesn't make sense to have Solo come back. It makes sense in his own film. I feel like, yes, they've got Alden Ehrenreich. They've got him signed to a three-year contract. Not, not a three-year contract, but a three-movie deal. But it... The, just like we got the reveal of Darth Maul at the end of this movie, I feel like Han Solo is going to be a reveal at the end of the Boba Fett film. <laughs> mm, mm, I see. I was thinking like all the Java material would be stuff they'd want to hit up on at some point. Oh well, we haven't seen how we haven't seen how Chewie gets his crossbow. So let's make another fucking movie. Um, <laughs> oh, well, yeah, I'm not. I'm not asking for this movie by any means. No, no, no. I know you're not. I'm just. I'm being. I'm being cynical right now because I feel like oh, yeah. they gave us the origin to everything. Like how yeah. Han like. Um, how Han found his shoes and how, how Han <laughs> styles his hair the way he does. And we need to find out how Chewie loses half of his bandolier. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, and we also need to find out where Han gets his, his vest from as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a very good question. Yeah. Oh, we found out why the uh, Jajaric holochess is is uh, transparent, why the characters are transparent, because Chewbacca breaks it. <laughs> Remember <laughs> in the movie, yeah. like he gets mad after after Beckett beats him in that one move, and he pounds on it, and then the characters go from solid to transparent. Oh yeah, okay. 
<laughs> but um, my, I told you, like at the beginning of my rating, like I felt like the movie should have left him a little bit more jaded by the end of it towards everyone and if they can't do it with Beckett turning on him because they didn't establish a lot of things between those two characters then he's got more of a history with Kira and they should have done it there and I feel like the way they could have done that was instead of her saying hey I'll meet up with you later and we all think to ourselves bullshit dude she ain't coming she ain't fucking cleaning up and I'm surprised that with all the easter eggs in the movie that those jewels that she was supposed to take I'm surprised those weren't the jewels from the Goonies treasure chest in one eyed will in one eyed Willie's pirate chest. Oh, there's another Easter egg for you. <laughs> anyway, um, but I I thought that like she should have right then in that moment betrayed him. That would I yeah. think that would have hit a lot yeah. harder. In that moment, she should have betrayed him when he's walking out of the door. She should have hit a button on the wall and 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 cut him off and locked herself lock, locked herself he needs in, to see it with his own eyes yes she locks herself inside of his office and it bookends with the beginning of the movie where she's forcefully separated from him but here in this instance she makes the decision herself willingly to separate herself from him and show him that she's made that separation and say, I told you, you didn't know who I am as he a lot more impactful, isn't it? Way more impactful. <laughs> Kasdan, you adopt me as your son and I'll write this shit for you. Um, <laughs> but I'm saying like, that's what I think should have happened. I think it should have been more impactful. It would have been more impactful there. And then we could have saw the, the look on Alden Ehrenreich's face change as a, a, a sad puppy love to like anger and hurt. And then when he hands over the coaxium to Emphis Nest, he's doing it in a vengeful manner against Crimson Dawn and doing it in a scorned love kind of way. But then on the flip side, we find out that he keeps one barrel for himself because he's a classic scoundrel. And that's my ending to this movie. And that's the movie. That's, that's where I give the movie a Tupperware possibly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with that. I'll co-sign that. Really, was it the ending that was the main problem for you in this film? No, there was other things. I'll be honest with you, but like that would have that would have if you would have ended it on a high note like that, to where I would under where the emotional, um, where it was emotional like that, I, it would have it would have worked a lot better for me. To be quite honest with you, I had a big problem with that at the end. That yeah. yeah. I could imagine like that whole like that scene playing out and then him like sort of taking like you said earlier like winking at Chewie or giving me a nod and then they take like half of the you know half of the fuel for yes. themselves yeah and, yeah or, and even like before that when he faces off against Beckett yeah Beckett gets way less of a monologue and he just boom just shoots him right that was because he's like just so damn pissed at everyone that he's then, cared about and, and then afterwards he does that him. he does that flippity do shit with the gun done like <laughs> yeah. that Beckett does but you know the, no what they could have what he could have done is at the end Han could have told Chewie that instead of 11 of those barrels they took he's like dude I took 12 mm, yeah. you know and like and yeah here's number 12 and so like that's you know I don't know and then no I had another I, like I told you my problems with the Sabat game but that's another thing and um, the final game of Sabat was 
okay. It just, it just, it wasn't, it just didn't blow me away. It just didn't, like, you, you wait 40 years for a fucking game and then you finally see it and it's like, yeah, I know, we all know that Han's gonna win and I know that they tried to throw in some things here that would surprise us. Like, oh, we didn't know that Lando was cheating. We didn't know all these things and I, I understand that, but part of me just wanted to see kind of like just an intense game of like, back and forth to where like they're just kind of like we're seeing characters kind of like worry about losing their shit and it's just an intense game where like the next thing you know they're betting ships you know like and it feels like it it's just lost on me that like we in the beginning of the movie we see them doing this and he's betting for lando's ship and they get access to his ship anyway they just offer him a fucking job and give him 25 percent yeah it's all set up to this kind of obvious i know how lando is cheating final scene you're right about that there really is no big story plot see the thing is they could have any brilliance they could have just shown lando uh han watching that first game while they're there in that bar and he could have just because we know that he was watching you know other things throughout this movie and listening you know he's a scam artist and he he could have just seen and they could have shown us like we could have just had this in our hip pocket that Han saw that he was cheating and then he could have saved that for the end of the movie he could have still picked his pocket taken the card unbeknownst to Lando and then shown him up that way you know yeah and I mean it's very obvious that Kira knows Lando as well yeah because she's like talking him up like as they're walking in and like she's going on about like all of his exploits yeah and then he cut he cuts her off when she uses the word prodigious yeah <laughs> the, i thought that was pretty fucking funny but it, you know the fact that she knows him already the, like you said man have him like you know keep an eye out on the game he's like inspecting what going what's going on he sees him cheat and then he just like you said earlier man he like collects all this knowledge puts that in the storage in his brain and then he uses it later on and just get kira to ask the bloody guy can we use your ship yes he just says yes i just i don't know it just didn't god i wish that worked for me i wish it was when i think of like a card game between lando calrissian and han solo i'm like super cool super cool card game and i saw better fucking card games in like rounders with matt damon you know i love that movie edward that movie's fantastic yeah and it's like like Go to that well. Like, watch it. I wish Kasdan would have watched that movie before seeing this and, like, kind of pulled from from some of that. Like, you know, like, I don't care. Yeah, Lando can be licking on Oreo cookies. I don't give a shit. Just give <laughs> yeah. me some amazing scenes with that. I don't, I, it just wasn't as, like, I don't know. That was one of the things that I was looking so much forward to in this movie. And I kind of like, I wanted to talk myself into being like, that was incredible. But I walked away from it like, man, that was just a missed opportunity. And it wasn't as super cool as I thought. Like, if you give Steven Soderbergh that, like, if you let Steven Soderbergh write that scene, like, I think we get a way better fucking poker game, uh, Sabat game that we saw here. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I like the way it's done in like Casino Royale a lot too, and that kind of shares similarities with this, where it's like a James Bond as your Han Solo against you know the chef, your your bad guy. Not that Lando's yeah. a bad guy. Yeah, but, yeah, know, yeah. Han and Lando are adversaries yes. during that Sabat game, so it's like show us some kind of fucking 
hell that only Han figures out. Or, well, you know? what, what, what about what about the other characters at the table? None of them were like even competitors in this. Like at least like make some of these guys like like you know like you could turn this into like a. You could literally turn this into a big part of the movie and you've got like all these different characters and like introduce them kind of like, like Ocean's Eleven type characters. Like, oh my God, like this guy, like, oh, like Kira's like talking to Han, like, you gotta watch out for this guy. And you've got, and he, you know, like a guy with a black hat on or something. Like, it, it, there's none of that. It's basically, it's Lando and Han and Lando's <laughs> cheating. And like nobody else is even in the game except for like that one guy with his like wonky eye that looks, that's true. <laughs> It's <laughs> trying to cheat. Question about this, Brian? Yeah, you saw it three times. Yes, and I, um, like, is it? Am I wrong? It almost felt like there was like a quick time jump. Like there was a bunch of Sabak plane that we didn't see, in which Han amassed all that money to be able to get into that situation in the first place. Yes, yeah, like, definitely. It felt really weird and rushed there, like that. We know, we know that Kira staked him; that she was the one who gave him like the money to start. But yes, there is, and there, there are scenes where Lando is winning fairly; he's not cheating, and 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 so it's a back and forth kind of thing. Um, but like the officials, yeah, I think that there is a time jump. I would have to agree with you. I don't like that. I, that goes back to like kind of what your complaint is. I think that that time could have been used to give us a small base enough understanding of the game to have some drama, ra- you know, ratcheted yeah, into yeah. what's going to happen. There was okay, like this could have been your pod race in Phantom One, uh, Phantom Menace, where like we actually got to. If, I know some people don't like the prequels, like, but I, you know, I, I'm one of them. I'm not a big fan, but one thing I did love about the prequels is the pod race, and it's because they kind of gave some of these other, um, uh, pod racers a little bit of personality. Like, you know, like, yeah, Sebulba had his thing throughout the race, and, I, and, 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 and like the one character who can't really get moving, and, um, Odie Mandrell. Yes. And see, here's yeah, the thing. That's it's a like, great point. Star Wars does that so well. Let yes. And see, that, yeah. like, in, in the Han Solo official guide, like, you can read about the different aliens that are at the table. The two-headed one, each, they talk about it. Each alien has its own personality. So, like, when they're playing cards, they're not always agreeing with one another. And that's kind of one of their tells. And it's like, we see none of that in this movie. <laughs> yeah, how fun would that be? <laughs> I want to see each of these players at the Sabak table kind of taken out strategically by Han and by Lando to where it's just them two and they're playing for the Falcon. I get none of that. It was not cool nor fun to see some of the things that happen at this table where you could have this iconic game that we've, I mean, it's, it goes back to, uh, you know, uh, Obi-Wan and not on such a scale, but, you know, Ben Kenobi saying, uh, yeah, I served with your father in the Clone Wars. And then when we get the Clone Wars in the movie, it's terrible. (laughs) <laughs> we have to yeah. wait for an and anime. And then the cartoon resurrects Darth Maul, and I get all pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, man, as well. Uh, it's from like a sort of like cinematic standpoint. Yeah, watching watching a game that no one, basically no one on the planet understands. Yeah, showing the cards flop on the table doesn't fucking mean anything so it's like it's like oh look here's a visual representation of what's oh happening. shit full sabak full sabak oh. though 
no one <laughs> understands. It, it doesn't. It you know. It yeah. doesn't make any. It doesn't make any damn sense to anybody. I so think. It's like, yeah. I think. Oh, God. There, I think that there is. Quote me if I'm wrong, but I think there is a way to play Sabak. Like they've. Yeah, I bet there is. Yeah, and I like bet there is. From what I found out doing a bit of research, it's um, it's very similar to blackjack with them that were sums up to twenty three rather than twenty one. Okay. Oh, that's 20. cool. Where okay. you discard and try to equal a, yeah, a total. Exactly. Yeah, with yeah. cards very, with, very, with cards yeah, with no well, numbers on. Yeah, exactly. Because I know that yeah. that that uh, hollow chess is like a real thing. Yeah. So I know that you can actually play. It. They've they've made video games on it. I, I think and a guy actually made like a hollow chess. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, it was like stupid movie poker rules, right? Whoever shows their hand last wins. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, wa- and I wanted to love this. This is one of those things like I was like, Jake, like if you would have asked me like a year ago, I, I would be like one of those people. And Jake, this is the thing. Me and you were the biggest supporters of this movie. Huge supporters of this film when it was first announced. Yeah, 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 you know, and we understood what was going on that it, it was kind of needless, but fuck it, it's like let's have some fun. Yes, and, and and that okay, and I will say this: the movie was fun. It was fun. Oh yeah, yeah. That's For the most we, part, we, I had fun. That's the thing. A, a lot of people seem to think that the, the taste it rating is a bad thing. No, it's we really not. Tupperware. It. Yeah, but you know, listen to the rating system. Yeah, you know, it, we tasted it, which means we all like it. We liked it. We genuinely like it. It's yeah. not. You know the best movie in the world, but it's definitely not the worst. But goddamn it, had a, I lo- <laughs> I love the I I did I think Howard I think Howard nailed the Western feel, the Western adventure in this. I mm. I really do. I even down to the point where like they show up at the end when they're on Savarine and they're getting the coaxium refined, and they show up to, and there's the barkeep there, and then Enthus yeah. Ness shows up with like her gang right outside the bar, and I'm just like, this is just a classic Western, and and the Conveyx scene with the train. I was just like, "This is yeah, this is stuff that I definitely want to see in a solo film." So, um, yeah. but 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 it's some of the other stuff that just really didn't work for me. So, yeah, yeah. yeah so I was just trying to reiterate the point that no one here hated this movie. No, we've just been talking about the, the things that we love and the things that we didn't like because yeah. we all liked it, but it definitely had problems. You want to talk about you want to talk about a character that has a Western name. Rio fucking Durant, right? Am I right? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, get that guy exactly. a ranch. Like when you go, when, no, when you when you are going to rob a space train, you want to have a guy on your crew named Rio Durant, right? Yeah, definitely. definitely. And the more the more arms, the better. The more, <laughs> absolutely. That's man. always the rule. Oh shit! We didn't even speak about that. When the when the when his ship gets boarded, and he's flying with two hands. And then he's shooting the guy with two guns. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that was so cool. Yeah. Oh, man. Damn it, Rio. Damn it. He's dead. He's dead. (laughs) Damn it. Maybe we'll see him in other movies. They'll bring him back. (laughs) (laughs) Solo movie. Find out about his family and everything. (laughs) They're going to have a prequel to the prequel. Yep. Yeah, why not? Yeah, um, let's talk. We'll talk about a little bit about the uh, the old Boba Fett film that was announced here, and then we'll then we'll wrap this bad boy up. Um, I was also surprised. No life debt, right? No life debt. Yeah, yeah, that was weird. I was well, thinking about that while I was working today. I was like, did I miss that? 
No, you didn't. I mean, I mean, you could say, saved his life quite a few times. But there's but no the, life there. It was dead. never expressly said, was yeah. it? Yeah, no, it never was. It yeah. never was. They took time out to expressly say how he got the last name Solo. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Uh, I mean, it, do you think it would be kind of a bit expositionally if you had Chewie explaining to Han in Wookie what the life there is? Hmm. It seems like Han didn't need that explained. Like, I think they did a good job establishing Han is already having enough Wookiee knowledge. And since the audience already has that knowledge, I think you could have got away with Chewie just saying, yeah, it's a life debt and we don't have to even have the exposition. Instead of having kind of the advantage, instead of having the conversation where Han has to explain why he calls him Chewie instead of Chewbacca, (laughs) maybe have the life debt conversation. I do, I do, I mean, life debt conversation. Yeah, life debt conversation aside, I did enjoy the, uh, the Wookiee human shower scene that we got. Oh, that was hilarious. Oh, that was hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) So good. Just see his feet and then these huge hairy feet coming way too close. (laughs) It's like invading all of his personal space. You can never touch and junk. Yeah. I, thought Ald- I thought Alden looked most like uh, Harrison Ford in the face during that shower scene. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Slippery when wet. I'm just glad. They just did like a close-up of his face and like it really seemed like he was like really trying to get like the mouth in that position and everything. Yeah. I was uh, just yeah, happy uh, crap, yeah. that it didn't go into like an HBO Oz kind of situation. <laughs> Uh-oh. Oh, <laughs> soap. <laughs> yeah. Chewie does more than just eat humans. <laughs> oh man! Is that peanut butter? And this is why they. This is this is why they call me Chewy. Um, oh, oh, uh, yeah, I know. Um, yeah, so we're getting a uh, Boba Fett film from um, James Mangold is apparently writing and will direct the standalone movie centered on Boba Fett, and um, we're finding out that Simon Kinberg. The writer producer behind the X-Men franchise and, uh, films such as The Martin, uh, is also going to be working on the movie and possibly will co-write the script with Mangold. Um, I just want, I, really the reason why I'm bringing this up is I just kind of want to know your thoughts on this. Hmm. Well, first off, a Mangold-Kinsberg, like, collaboration seems like something that's not going to work immediately on paper, right? feel like those two are going to clash and something's going to come up of this so and with the history of all the other star wars movies with shifts in writing and directing i wouldn't be surprised if this wasn't again the not the final form that the bubba fett movie ends up taking on so be interested to kind of follow along with the pre-production did but aside he, from that did like, he did they right. work excuse me if i'm wrong did they work together and I could be wrong here, but I know, you know, Kinberg has been like a big kind of like guy within the, uh, the X-Men universe. Did, um, did they work together on Logan? Yeah, I, that's, that's a great point. I don't know if they were co-writers or if he was just an exec producer over the X-Men universe at that time. I, I don't have any device to search IMDb real quick on that, but you might be right. So maybe, yeah. maybe we'll get, we'll get along good there. But as far as being excited for the movie, I yeah, mean, I'll they, see he it was a Star Wars. Simon Kinberg was a producer on Logan. Okay, but he didn't help with the screenplay. Uh, writers that were involved. Uh, let's take a look here. No, it doesn't look like I, he helped write, but they they were involved together on Logan. 
when I think of Mangold and, and doing movies, I, I think of him as a guy that's writing a script alone. You know, I don't think of him as a partner guy. So that'll be interesting to see if anything comes of that. But I, I mean, I'm generally not all that excited about this. If we never got a Boba Fett movie, I would be okay with that. But I'm also not anti having a Boba Fett movie. So it's it's whatever to me. I'll yeah. see it, but I'm not like freaking out about it. It won't be my most anticipated movie of whatever year it comes out. I'll tell you that much. Matt, what are you thinking, man? Uh, much the same, dude. I'm not. It's Star Wars, so I'll go and check it out. But uh, Boba Fett is not one of my favorite characters anyway. I've got no real interest in seeing what happened to him. It's going to be after he crawled out of the Sarlacc pit, isn't it? We don't know. There's no details. There are literally no details on like what this movie's going to be about. I mean, I mean, we would yeah, have to um, imagine that it would be. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've got no real interest to say. I'll, I'll check it out. Cause it's Star Wars, but I couldn't really care less. I'm, I just want more, more films of, of new new ideas and new characters. I'll just stop stop with the the, the treading back of uh, of old characters and old stories. It's just it's starting to annoy me, Dan. Yeah, I mean, I would have thought that it would have been, like, a prequel less than, you know, coming out of the Sarlacc pit and carrying on. Because we don't really know anything about Boba Fett. Like, we haven't really seen anything that he does except for what he does, you know, in in the first three movies. Well, first two, the two movies. So I would have figured that it would have been him, you know, maybe, like, learning his... Uh, learning his craft and maybe we'll get like Bosk and stuff like that in this mm-hmm. but you had all that in Clone Wars didn't you yeah so it, it's either that or it's going to be when he starts to work for Jabba is, is Clone Wars canon because I know Rebels is oh yeah, yeah Clone, Clone Wars is uh, definitely Clone Wars canon. is definitely canon yeah especially okay. with all the mall stuff now yeah well no idea because I can't really see what the hell he'll be doing afterwards after falling down into the silo pit <laughs> it's just going to fly away because he never comes back <laughs> I, I mean so it's, it's, like, it's, like, it's like amazing like battle going on in the background that he is not part of he's like oh, I'm not I'm not into that I'm off I'm going somewhere else. See, that's the thing. He's like, he's a, he's a, he's a hired gun basically, and so it's like I think it yeah. would, you know, like if you're gonna, if anybody can do this, I think James Mangold can do it if they gave him the creative freedom. Because like I, I love three ten to Yuma, and I feel like if they take like another space western approach to this, they can kind of like. I don't know. I think this has definitely the potential to be a great film uh, with James Mann. I mean, look what he did with Logan. I know it was just a high taste for you, Dan, but like I just just a high taste. I know, I know, I know. Low low taste it for me now. (laughs) What? Okay, I hate that film now. I can't watch it. Oh god! Oh shit! All right. Well, this movie's fucked then. Um, (laughs) (laughs) At least (laughs) I don't know. Like me, I'm miserable. Apparently, like apparently, and I I posted a post on our Facebook page. Somebody said this like on Twitter, and I posted it. But apparently, me and Sean, uh, when we did an episode together years ago, we talked about. um, uh, And Greg Alenti reminded me of this. Me and Sean talked about like instead of like. Boba Fett coming out of the Sarlacc pit, somebody finds the armor, like an extra set of armor he has or something, and just takes on the mantle of Boba Fett. And 
like me and Sean kind of talked about that. Sean from League of Geeks, we we kind of talked about that on an episode. This was back, I guess, when they were talking about uh, Michael Fassbender possibly being him. I would, man, if it was like if it was me and if I was making the movie and people can say, oh, "Fuck you," what, what are you talking? I don't want that. That's fine, whatever. This is just my vision. I would, I think that mantle story would be a lot of fun. Um, like have like Michael B. Jordan cast as Boba Fett and he's just a kid that <laughs> comes across the ar- awesome. a guy that comes across the the armor and we've got Michael B. Jordan who's not even Mandalorian and he's just kind of like running around pretending that he's Boba Fett and people are just like oh my god I can't believe he's back and like he's getting these jobs and like it's his way to make <laughs> money and shit and like that seems like a fun movie to me but it also seems like fan fiction in a way and something that would piss off a lot of you know fans of like the expanded universe so I don't think yeah, that how, they... how did you and Sean rationalize how he got the armor if it's in the Sarlacc pit no I'm saying they find an extra set of armor I don't know if we oh got... an extra one okay yeah I don't think like <laughs> you know I don't, I don't know I mean maybe he's like Lando with capes and he's just got like multiple armors <laughs> hanging around or set on Slave 1 and Slave 1's obviously parked at Jabba's palace or maybe he yeah. just like you know like instead of in the in the predator trailer like the dad from that movie ships the armor to him. he killed boba fett <laughs> and, and i just have <laughs> i have an image of like just some guy just finding what is essentially like the butt of the Sarlacc pit where it just poops all the stuff out and that's where he gets the armor. <laughs> right, right, right. It's, it's, <laughs> it's just got this like mangled skeleton in it. Right. The armor's oh. fine. The armor looks great. But of the Sarlacc pit. A yeah. Star Wars story. <laughs> <laughs> it's, oh my god! Get out those anthologies. <laughs> the the butt is like on Mimbin, the mud the mud planet that we saw in this movie. <laughs> and the whole time they're just rolling around in Sarlacc shit. No, and that's um, all the mist is. All the mist is. You know, yeah, all right. Gas. Fill this butt with fog. What they could do, honestly, honestly, Michael B. Jordan's character or whoever whoever they would cast. I'm not saying Michael B. Jordan. Whoever they would cast as like whoever's going to take on the mantle of Boba Fett could just come across random Mandalorian armor and spray paint it to look like Boba Fett's armor and say that they're Boba Fett. Don't they, um, one thing I'm confused about is don't they almost have to do something like what you're describing, Brian? Otherwise they run into the problem where we all know like Boba Fett basically has to look like this person. I mean, well, I mean, we just had a movie where Alden Ehrenreich doesn't look exactly like Han Solo, Harrison Ford. Yeah, but it's well, I, it, I don't know. It feels a little bit different here since How? we're dealing so. with like clones. How? Yeah. <laughs> okay, I guess. Like, I mean, is it, isn't he going to grow up to look exactly the way all the other ones grew up to look? He like? could have been in there for years, and they could have. I mean, I mean, we're, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess we're we're saying that Alden Ehrenreich in in ten years looks like Harrison Ford. I mean, I guess I don't. I mean, I, I yeah, sure. I don't know. I, it's just the fact that they're 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 clones. It's like they it just they always have to look the same, right? I, I mean, I'm sure they can write themselves out of that real easily, but okay. I don't know. Uh, I'm just, all I'm saying is uh, that your your screenplay would actually just eliminate that whole problem altogether. Okay, yeah. I got this right. So so Django is played by uh, Terramon Morrison. Okay, yes, We've got that. Um, who's from New Zealand? I reckon, <laughs> stay with me, we get 
the director of Thor Ragnarok Taika to play Taika Waititi can play Boba Fett. Yes. 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 I'm, I'm doing. Yeah, I'm, I'm in, doing. I mean, that's that's my most anticipated film now. Oh God, yes. <laughs> he can write and direct. It would just it would just be Korg in a Boba Fett costume, won't it? <laughs> I love oh that idea. Dan. Have you guys ever I'm seen? I'm with Matt. It... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm just going to say it's my most anticipated film as well now. That's amazing. I love it, too. Have you guys seen What We Do in the Shadows? Have you ever watched it? Yes. Oh, the vampire doc? Yeah. I, I need to. It's werewolves, not werewolves. <laughs> werewolves, not swearwolves. <laughs> that is a very great film. <laughs> I, I, like, how do you pull off an hour and a half of that? Like, it should be, like, that movie, a vampire documentary, should be, like, a 15 minute short and like Taika Waititi gives us an hour and a half. <laughs> I was like, how do you do that? It's so good. <laughs> it's Didn't I read we're getting a TV series based off of that? Oh God. So coming up, it doesn't I, I sound I that somewhere. It doesn't sound like, yeah, it doesn't, I, I, I it doesn't sound like something that they wouldn't do. Like people are dying for like these <laughs> confessional type documentary type mockumentary stuff for TV. So yeah, but yeah, that's all I got, guys. Um, man, I uh, I really there are parts of this movie I absolutely love, and then there are parts that I despise. Um, but uh, you know, overall, I guess we'll see how. I don't know. Well, it'll be interesting to see. Like looking back. In a year or two, how fans like look back on this on this solo film? Yeah, it's uh, as far as like the the interwebs is going. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, it's at oh God. Uh, 70, 71 for yeah. the critics. But yeah, that's, pre- that's pretty good. The fans, Plus. the fans, fifty seven. <laughs> it was fifty four <laughs> yesterday. It was fifty four. Really? Yes, it was fifty four yesterday. So it went up three percent. Yeah. So there you go. Yep. Average so of you, three. Do you think they're going to lose money on this? I think, no. I think that they're not. This is definitely going to make less than Rogue One. Unfortunately, I think. I have a feeling yeah. that it will. I agree with that. But the Star Wars movies are always a long-term investment, right? At the end of the day, someone will make the money back. No, I mean, I don't think that this is going... I, I think that they'll definitely make a profit on this film. But I think, like, the early projections were 150 mil, where I think Disney was hoping it would be closer to 170. But then when they find out that it's going to be probably 120 like that's very discouraging for them at this point. So, you know, and I, so I don't know, and I, I don't know about you guys, but my theaters weren't that full. No, we were, we were talking about that on break, and I think I had fifty people in my theater, and that was eight o'clock on Friday night. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Me and Michelle about, went to the. Oh, God, sorry, Dan. No, I was going to say, man, I just we had about twenty in mine yeah. um, today at six o'clock. Yeah, me and Michelle did the 7 p.m. on Friday, and the theater was about half full. Yeah, I went to I went to the opening night at in IMAX 3D, and see the thing is with that, like nobody's going to sit in those front rows because, like, looking at an look, you know, going to get a crick in your neck looking straight up. <laughs> yeah. but, oh gosh, um, I've never done it since I was like 10, but I yeah. can't imagine. I'd say 80 percent of the theater was full. 
But uh, I mean, again, that was opening night. And we had a good crowd, too. And I feel like that's kind of like once I walked out of the movie, I was like, oh, my God, that was fantastic. And I think I was kind of like it was it was shiny new toy for me because I, I was I'm a big fan of Westerns and that Western feel. And this man, this was a space Western. You take you take space and you have and you fucking throw it in a blender with a western and that's what i got and i was just like oh my god this was amazing and then the second time i focused way more on like the story elements and then i was like fuck man right. <laughs> yeah i'm just going to go back and watch firefly i think for that yeah, yeah. Are, you, are you a big firefly guy brian i love firefly i own the blu-ray so okay yeah i love firefly yeah we'll just pop that in yeah. yeah, and yeah, Firefly did a lot of this. All day long. Firefly did the 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 train heist first. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> so, all right, guys, that's all I got. Any uh, any final thoughts before I wrap this bad boy? I'm sure I'm forgetting something, people. I apologize. I try to go over everything, but um, any final thoughts before we wrap this bad boy up? I guess Ezra is Snoke now. <laughs> Shut up! Get out of here! You're full of you're you're full of Cluzon thirty six gas. words. <laughs> no, I th- uh, for for me, I think to be honest, man, I think you covered a lot more than what people are expecting, especially with a breakdown of a lot of the uh, the Darth Maul stuff and things like that. So yeah, I mean, just if you want to go see it, just go out and see it. Oh, I um, will say this. I did love the fact that the, I did love this. This was a nice, this was a funny strike. We did get to see the satellite dish get knocked off this version yeah. of yeah. the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> and I like that. Oh, that was hilarious. Yeah. yeah. The destruction of the Millennium Falcon, fucking hilarious. Yeah. They just got to like lose that dish and just keep it lost. I think <laughs> they need to they need to dismantle that and just like, just leave it out of the spec next time. Cause that thing just gets lost all the time. Yeah, <laughs> just leave it out of the specs altogether. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Yeah, Matt. Final thoughts. Anybody? We good? Yeah, no. That, uh, yeah, we covered everything. I think. So All right, man. Go, go and check it out if you want to, but don't, don't <laughs> get hopes too high. <laughs> what an endorsement! Go check it out if you want to. <laughs> Yeah, it's better. It's it's better than fucking slitting your wrist, huh? <laughs> wow, yeah. wow, wow! I, I want to see these on the new TV spots coming out next week. <laughs> uh, Matt Kirby on Pop Culture Leftovers says, eh, "Go see it if you want to." Jake Elliott says, eh, "Better than fucking slicing your wrist." Bringing <laughs> <laughs> endorsements all around. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> <laughs> it's better than self-induced harm slash suicide. <laughs> it really is. It really is. You'll have fun. No lies. No, no embellishments. Yeah, you'll have fun till the last fifteen minutes of the movie. Oh, and and the and the back game as well. Hold on. That hold on. Suck. Hold on. The, the the full quote from Jake is okay. If you really have to have a quote. <laughs> <laughs> if you're forcing my hand <laughs> if you're making me do this it's better than <laughs> slicing your wrist slitting your wrist slitting your wrist oh my god <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> oh, oh, we didn't talk about the, um, uh, it did set up, uh, uh, Han Solo going to, uh, Tatooine for the job for Job of the Hut. Cause, uh, Beckett, uh, that's another thing. This movie's just like origin story. <laughs> like, we gotta explain everything. This is, yeah. this is how Han gets a little the bit tat- of that, A little bit yeah. of episode three syndrome there. Yeah, yeah. Beckett basically tells him that if he goes to um, Tatooine, there's a gangster there that's putting together a crew for a big job. And, of course, we know that's Job of the Hut on Tatooine. So, yeah. Maybe it's Zorba the Hut that he works with first. Zorba the Hut. Is that is that Spaceballs? No, that's that's Jabba's brother. Zorba? Yeah, right. Isn't that the one that um, kidnaps the baby in the Clone Wars movie? That's right. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> I, when you said Zorba the Hut, I'm thinking like... Is you're, that, thinking, you're thinking Pizza the Hut. Pizza the Hut. <laughs> yeah. But no, I was thinking... I was also thinking like... Oh my God, you're delicious. That sounds... <laughs> that sounds I was like, Zorba the Hut sounds very Greek, and so maybe it's Euro the Hut. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, he goes good with some nice tabbouleh. Oh, God, yes. Uh, man, that, that gyro sauce is amazing, though, right? Mm, I'm not a fan, but I'm weird. I don't oh, really God. Like I li- condiment. Who likes the gyro sauce? I love the gyro sauce. I don't even know what the hell that is. Yeah, I'm lost. <laughs> it's that. Uh, it's, 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 it's an American foreign thing. <laughs> yeah, oh, my gosh. So we got a gyro place out here. And they give you the, it's the, 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 the lamb meat and it comes with like this, this white sauce. And I really, yeah, white sauce. Yeah, semen. I get it. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> oh, Brian. What, it, what yeah. does it taste like, Brian? It tastes like a Greek man's dick in my mouth. Whatever. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> And a little bit like eggs. <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's I don't even know how to. It's kind of it's kind of tart and tangy at the same time. It's so good. Like I, I don't know. Like Arby's came out with their like Americanized gyros for a while, and when they had like the two for six, I was out there all the time because Ving Rhames was like, "Yeah, we got the meat," and I was like, "Fuck yeah, you do!" And I was out there, <laughs> and I, I was eating. I was eating their gyros. With the little fucking the gyro sauce, like I don't I, some some of these sauces are amazing. Yeah, we're done with Han Solo. Turn it off if you don't want to listen to sauce talk. Um, but uh, <laughs> that's our new podcast. New podcast. Talk. Hey, welcome. I was telling Rebecca when I was at, I was at C two E two. I was telling Rebecca Daling. I was telling her I was like, hey, you want to do a podcast about uh, about uh, um, shitty cereals called Scorn Flakes? <laughs> oh, I love it! I love it. Where we just talk oh, about really shitty I had a cereals. Laugh myself in Solo when they brought up extra portions. <gasps> oh, I did too with the kid talking about portions. Yeah, yeah, that was hilarious. I was about that. For this. Yeah, I was like, oh, and I was thinking to myself, like, that's what you call portion control. Yeah, terrible, <laughs> terrible joke. <laughs> yeah, I could, I, yeah, I don't know. Like, is, is, so is that like a thing that they do in the galaxy with like portions? <laughs> like, really? For, for, slavers, for slavers, I think that's definitely the thing. You just feed people with food. Do they? No, do they go to like a slavers conference? Like, all right, this yeah. is how you keep your, uh, this is how you keep your subordinates in line, guys. We're gonna do. It's called portions, and they they got like this portion triangle. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, 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 yeah. and like the, the, head, the head lecturer is Uncar Plot. Uncar Plot. Yeah. He's like explaining it. <laughs> <laughs> but this part of the ship. 
So they're, they're thinking, they're thinking to themselves, six portions, and then you say, Three portions. This <laughs> <laughs> is Uncar Plot running a seminar of a pyramid scheme for right. portions. <laughs> He's got one of those like uh, headsets on with like the mic. Give them one quarter. He's like he's like he's like the Tim Robbins motivational speaker of like slavers. <laughs> Man, I would have loved. I would have cheered, standing ovation, if Ma would have been Uncar Flut instead. Oh, <laughs> get out of here! I'm not even joking. Oh, oh man. man, I love the Uncar Flut. I, I, I wish it would have been like the 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 uh, the, the, uh, the the diner owner in. Uh, oh my God, that's the only thing worse in episode two. I wish it would have been. <laughs> what was his name? That's the only thing worse. And no, oh and, and, and it, it was basically like Kira just calling room service at this point. You know, she just mm. she wants to she wants to order a gyro with gyro sauce. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the '80s robot comes out. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah, guys, send those one stars to Pop Culture Leftovers, people. All right, yeah, we're looking. Yeah, for bring it. them on. Bring them on. <laughs> bring it. <laughs> Yeah, this 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 ended a long time ago, people. You could have turned it off. We're just we're just talking sauce and and uh, yeah. awesome pyramid schemes. Awesome pyramid I really, schemes. <laughs> I really want if they do make a solo sequel, can we call it Solo Dolo? No, Mio. no, it's it's called Solo Yolo. You only live once. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! Oh man! I wish. I hope they come out with like uh, sy- synergy as far as the marketing, and they make solo bolos for like that Western flair because the movie had a Western flair. Mm, like a bolo, like a weapon? No, a bolo, like the like the, the it's the Western tie. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I got you now. Yeah, Dan, Matt, I don't know if you guys know what a bolo is but it's a it's a uh down here well in in the states it's a it's a it's instead of like a dress tie or a bow tie it's a string isn't it yeah it's a yeah basically it's like (laughs) some some asshole wraps a string around his neck it's a shoelace yeah it's also the weapon though right with like the three balls and the yeah it's it's it is it's what panthro uses in uh in uh is it panthro or is it it tigra It's Panther. Oh, no, 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 it's, it's Tigra. Yeah, it's Tigra. Tigra uses the bolo and Thundercats. Panthro oh, uses. Panthro's got nunchucks. Panthro's got nunchucks with cloth yeah. on them. Little cloth. Yeah, he's got like one, one, one's red and one is blue. One's red, one's blue. One time since I watched Thundercats. All right, guys, if we're doing lion talk, I'm going to go get something. <laughs> guys, yeah. <laughs> listen, guys, thank you so much for uh, listening to our solo Star Wars uh, story review. We will uh, see you next week with a regular episode. We're not doing any movies. Uh, I might go see Upgrade, and uh, that's about it, but we'll see you next week. Later. See ya. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Leftovers. Congratulations. I don't know how you did it. I couldn't do it. You people need a t-shirt saying, I just listened to two hours of nonsensical crap. Anyway, if you'd like to reach the Pop Culture Leftovers cast, you can email them at comments at popcultureleftovers.com. You can also follow them on Twitter at PC Leftovers or like their Facebook page. They'd love to hear from you. They're all pretty sad and lonely. One of them is homeless, but I didn't say that. 
It's a trap. Good and toss it, good and taste it. Do we love it? Hey, let's race it. Can't erase it. Let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture. Carry over counterculture. Push over pop culture. Leftovers. And with the uncool kids. What's to say has already been said. Leftovers. Pretty sure that the only talent is the band that's singing this. Pop culture leftovers. Podcast that original and good. Separate the wheat from the shaft And we're the shaft The crap Even though we're the shit Woo! We're the leftovers Picking up the scraps Dropped by the cool kids it, it, It's a trap Good and toss it Good and taste it Do we love it? Hey, let's face it Can't erase it Let's embrace the Tupperware party Subculture spill over Like a vulture Carry over Counterculture Push over Pop culture Leftovers And with the uncool kids What's to say Has already been said Leftovers Pretty sure that Love it, hey, let's face it, can't erase it, let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture, carry over, counterculture, push over, pop culture. Leftovers, uncool kids, what's to say has already been said. Leftovers, pretty sure that the only talent is the band that's singing this. Pop culture leftovers.